Yo, welcome, sir, to Bridge <laughs> the Gap. My name is Holden Stefan Roy, and this is the show where we talk to super interesting people such as Mr. Benji Shea. I said it wrong the last interview, and now I'm terrified to say your last name wrong again on this interview. Uh, <laughs> You're all good. So Benji over here. Pronounced like someone who shares. Sharer. Whatever. I don't even know if yes. I did it right. Awesome. So great, great guy. A friend of mine for a long time. He's actually like a pivotal person in like our interview history being like the first in-person interview we ever really did ever so that was like really cool started off a great journey y'all who know me now for interviews y'all kind of owe benji a little something because without benji being my guinea pig there's nothing happening here today because life is just journeys yeah, and whatnot. but um with that i didn't we, know that i was the first that's awesome you were like technically the second but the first was a weird zoom phone call thing and so the first one that counts, the first local one, the first, you know, started the journey and the quest that is here today. And then it took forever to get the ball rolling, but it really did come from that moment. And honestly, that experience stuck with me enough to want to pursue it further. So I watched it again just now. I hated my performance, but you know, that's how it is when you watch the old three. It was three years ago, just shy of a month. So that's pretty fucking cool to me. Um, Stills. We're here to talk about you and all the wonderful stuff you do. And we will get to all the wonderful stuff you do in a weird sequential way that comes out organically. And um, I just wanted to let them know that you did write these books right now. Shit, I'm going to add the links to your books to the thing that I'm going to have pumping through the thing. So we have a stream elements. I forgot to link to your books now. Uh, I'm going to link to them uh, add it while you're talking at some point, And it'll probably be in the links below. So normally, I don't want to plug like that. But I need y'all to go cop the man's books because we got to support that. You know, I'm a book guy. And I buy them books. So it is what it is. I got to plug it like that. Um, can you just say the names of them? Just so that, I, you know, they can hear that. Because I don't remember them offhand. I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. The first one is called Feelings First, Shadow Work. A Simple Approach to Self-Love and Emotional Mastery. And I'm sure we'll talk uh, at some point about why it's called Feelings First and what that's all about. Yeah. And the second one, they're, they're kind of meant to be paired together, <clears throat> called, excuse me, 10 Mind Hacks for Quicker Emotional Healing. They're uh, both available on Amazon. They're both available through my own website. And, you know, we'll talk about all that as we go. Oh, if they're on your website, then I'm already linking to them. Yeah, because I put your website there. We did it, everyone. <laughs> Awesome. So I do want to ask you my. Well, I just sent you a message. Ah, perfect. Awesome, man. Um, I'll definitely just add that too, just for the sake of it. You know, we're doing this in real time. I do have a um, uh, a, a token first question. I like to ask everybody because uh, it's fun. People people like it. And so I keep asking it and you're musicy enough that it's all going to be totally applicable and it's totally intertwined into your journey. And we didn't really do this on the last interview. So it makes it real fun. It is a little bit of a story as I run through it. And then when it lands, you can do what you want with the question and answer it. However, and it starts with my girlfriend and she's washing the dishes and she's busting that black eyed piece on that. I got a feeling. Ooh. She's like dancing around. She's doing her thing. 
And I'm thinking about this song, though, because she's washing dishes and bopping, and it's chores music, and it's like exercise music now. And I start thinking about musics and vibes, and I'm like, yo, it's crazy. Ten years ago, this song was like that club banger that had everybody jumping around, drunk as fuck, doing their thing. And I'm like, and then ten years later, it's like chores music, and it's like exercise music. And I'm like, that's like super nifty, right? Like music kind of just changes over time and plays these different roles and whatnot. And then that got me thinking about all the club bangers today, the Cardi B's and all that shit, and how like... 10 years from now that's all gonna be the choice music and everything like that which i think is super nifty because nobody really thinks about it like that but then i thought about our own musical journeys and again i think your journey is super musical so it's it's worth considering this and getting this on wax but our own musical journeys when we talk about them we often start in this adolescent phase when we get our own identities and we attach ourselves to these different things because we care about them then but that's not really where it starts it actually goes like way way back to as early as you can remember like in my case i'm like five years old ish you know i can remember all these gray boxes my dad had the amplifiers and the things plugged into the speakers with the the wires and whatnot he would bust these led zeppelin tapes and these 90s techno dance musics and diff different vibes and sounds for different occasions and my mom had these knockoff disco cds and other music i can't remember uh, anyway it just kind of created this ambiance on this sound that ultimately led me on the journey to where i am today and it all really starts there so i'm hoping for you we can go back to like a little, little Benji and we can explore the musical soundscape of the earliest parts of your memories. Okay. You mean like, you mean like what kind of songs that I remember from, from that age kind of thing? Like what started? Yeah. That, that's the okay. question. Um, so yeah, there, as you asked that, there are a few things that stick out to me right away. Um, one of which is a song that my mom used to sing to me when I was really young, which is uh, Carol King's You've Got a Friend. And so she used to sing that to me probably, I mean, when I was like four, four through eight or nine or so when I was around that age. And what's what I think is really interesting for me about this song is for like 10 to 15 years, I forgot that she used to sing this to me. Like that memory just went away from my mind and then all of a sudden it started creeping back and like now it has this nostalgic feeling that i just completely forgot about so that was one um i remember like as a kid i used to you know my dad never really played much music around the house so a lot of my my first um my first exposure to a lot of music was a lot of what my mom was playing which was a lot of actually bet midler at the time and I also used to be really into musicals, like when I was a kid until, you know, society started pushing that out of me, you know, like guys aren't meant to be into musicals kind of thing. So it had that aspect uh, of it. Um, so I was into a lot of that sort of uh, like very grand so you, vocals. So that's you, why I like Bette Midler and, and um, you just, it's really. So you were like actively like singing and dancing and all this when you were young, like really young. Like, I mean, I just assume with the musicals that you get a little into it. Um, well, yeah, and this is actually really interesting for what we might be talking about as we go forward, because we are going to be talking about, you know, emotional wounds that happened when we were a kid. And I think that for me, it started off with, yeah, with some of that stuff, like I wanted to sing, I wanted to dance. And like I said, that wasn't looked at well for young boys kind of thing. So I mm -hmm. had to push that part of me aside and I learned not to, um, I don't know, no, but that's a side note. But uh, yeah, so I, I was definitely into that. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely 
Look, it's a super interesting point. Uh, I'm about the same age as you, so I know exactly what societal pressures you're talking about. But really, you turn into a guy that can bust out these Freddie Mercury-style fucking grandiose, like, things, right? And so what I've done this question a lot, and I've come to see that, yo, that, like, range of five years old-ish, kids be doing all kinds of wild stuff from, like, sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes it's like they busting out Michael Jackson theater performances and stuff. So it's like, in general, it's cool just to go through this part of people's lives. Because you know who cares? The fans of you. They all care about this shit, believe it or not. So that's why I asked this. And then I asked stuff like, were you a drawer back when you were little? Were you like busting little sketches and all this good stuff? Not really. I, I can't I can't draw to save my life and, and I never could. Um mm -hmm. When I was in elementary school, there was like this one character that I used to draw, and it was just the stupid. Like he was called Birdman. It was just a bird superhero. He was a Birdman. That's dope. Um, and I could only ever draw him in that one like superhero pose. You know the superhero landing pose that all superheroes do in movies, like when they jump from a really high position and they land like their foot on the ground mm. like that, yeah, or their hand on the ground, their fist, yeah. Um, so I used to draw Birdman like that. Just all the time. That that was it. And he looked terrible. His proportions were all wrong. Um, so no, I can't draw for for shit. Nah, but you you can do all sorts of other great stuff. Still, fair enough. So what I like to ask next, just as we go. Oh, through, I'm not complaining. Nah, don't <laughs> worry about it. Um, honestly, it's just fun. It's just like people like to explore the youthful joys of our like talent explorations. A lot of people. I can't draw for shit neither. Don't worry. I use anyway. Um, so when. You, you were born in Montreal, right? I might be wrong about that. Or am I wrong? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, what, Montreal. What part of Montreal did you grow up in when you was little? I grew up in TMR, near the railroad tracks on Kenora. That is fresh. Um, so then I ask, basically, do you remember some of the earliest music that you found yourself getting attached to usually around more of that adolescent era let's say as you start to find your identity a little bit do you remember any of the first songs you really got into yeah absolutely uh well first songs specifically i don't know about that um i can remember the first few bands like i remember the first time my brother like brought home some cds kind of thing and you know mm. at that age like he was just old enough that he was starting to get into music and we were just at that age where you know cds were just starting to become a thing we were just uh, like at home music was a little more common a little easier to get um so he brought home i think the two that that really stick out in my mind um are offspring and our lady peace Okay. Those were two that I got really into. And I think those were two of my first concerts as well. And then actually here's an interesting one because you made a post about this. Um, uh, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago asking if Dave Matthews was ever like really a thing, like how was this a thing kind of, and you know, I didn't comment on it at the time, but firstly, like Dave Matthews is one of the ones that I got really into, but more so like I'm less surprised that he was a thing and more so that he didn't last like his music was really well composed right really orchestral like he had a phenomenal band behind him and they were well written well put together there was grand music um so i mean you know everyone their opinion that's cool you cannot like him all you well, want it's not even that i was yeah, more was like one that 
Okay, just to be clear, it's not like a shade uh, at Dave Matthews. I think they, they crash into me, and there's a few of them I really fucking like. So I actually understand what you mean when you talk about that, like, top-tier songwriting. It's just, I sometimes have thoughts, like, yo, remember when Dave Matthews existed? Like, you know, just, they were a thing, and now they're not a thing. And what happened? You know, like, yeah. that's all that post yeah. was to me, and I just, uh, that one actually got, like, like, yo, the randomest shit gets attention on Facebook is what I've learned this year. But anyway, it's interesting that you remember that. But yeah, <laughs> Dave Matthews is cool. I just, yeah, I have no love or hate towards them. I'm very neutral. I like the few songs I know. Um, fair enough. I, I believe you. Know, you I, I got to say that one thing. Sorry, I, I've been noticing more like maybe it's just that I'm distracted with my life and I'm busy with things that are going on now. But, you know, as we get older, or at least as I've been getting older, I've been finding it harder and harder to you know, get into those deep listening states, you know, back in the day where I would really just like put on an album and sit and do nothing but listen to that album. You know, especially with a lot of Dave Matthews, there was a lot of Pink Floyd that I used to do that with just out, like, just like lots of stuff. And these days, you know, music tends to be something more that's like, it's in the background while I'm doing other stuff. And that's something mm. me to realize. So I, the I only hope thing to, I to can, get like, back. Uh, the only thing I can recommend listening. is to like, do it with walks it's easy what else are you gonna do on a walk right you just throw on some project go on like a hour-long walk and you can get lost in music like back in the day a little bit not sound like exactly the same but that would be my best tip for that but i relate heavy like i listen to albums like his work half the time right like it's like gotta review this gotta pay attention gotta say some clever <laughs> yeah. shit about that dude's lines or whatever right like so it's like that and i notice a lot like now i notice a lot like it's almost like the charm is less there but then yo i go outside again i feel the sun or the bitter cold depending on the month and i just feel like i don't know just not being in the right in the work environment because that's what it is right we work at our homes so when we're not in that work environment we get back into a different part of the brain i think that allows the leisure parts to kick in a little better attach some exercise you got positive endorphins flowing through you boom that would be my like thoughts yeah. on that one anyway um I don't know. I, I you just you get my brain going, Benji. That's usually what happens when we talk. Uh, so when you was like young, it's cool. It's great. So like when you was, when you was young though, you you uh, I believe you ended up getting into a band in high school. Is that something I recall you saying from the last interview, or is that like later on in life? Yeah, yeah. Very briefly, I, I sang in a band. Uh, we we performed three, maybe four shows. You know, two. One was a battle of the bands. Two were. Um, just you know like high school talent shows kind of thing there might have been one other um and yeah like i loved it i don't know if i was very good i know that we weren't very good um you know we were any typical like high school pseudo punk band exactly as what well. like another really interesting thing is as i get older um i can identify and recognize like oh that's a high school band like it doesn't matter what genre they're playing like I can identify what sounds like a high school band. And we were most definitely like a high school band. Uh, you know, the, just the super simple kind of melodies and compositions and just all straight, like using the same, I don't know, the same tricks that like every high school band from before has done and playing it in just that sloppy kind of way that can only, like sloppy, but um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, enthusiastic 
to be mm. so bad and yet completely unable to tell how bad you are that you can play in such a sloppy way um with so much energy and with so much like confidence about it uh so yeah i think that was we were called drop state i don't exactly know where that came from mm. so basically you guys did the show for a little bit but were you also busting out some poetries at this time what else is going on for a teenage benji what other artistic pursuits are you up to at this time um, and around that age, I was actually into turntables for a while. So I was doing some scratching. Um, I was actually like, if I look back on it, I think I was actually really good at scratching, but I was really bad at beat matching. I was never able to, to just quite learn that skill. Like I understood it. I knew exactly what I had to do, but I wasn't able to quite get that. So like, uh, yeah, anyway, so, so that didn't last. Um, but it was around probably how, like how did you get into it though? Like what, what made you decide to go down that path though? Like, um, it was actually a friend of my brother's, um, who had turntables and was really into it. And this was a guy that like, I don't know why I just sort of looked up to him. He just, he had this energy or this aura about him that like some part of young me was like, I want to be that guy. Um, and he had turntables and he was really into them and it just kind of, it got my attention for a bit, you know, especially when we're at that age and we're desperately trying to find our identity and something about turntables just had that nostalgic feeling while also being, you know, like culturally cool kind of thing with where we were at in our like collective cultural musical development at that stage, like having turntables was like, it was young, it was cool, it was fashionable in the sense, like it was a fringe thing, but like, hey, that's that's something that can be an identity for you. Mm. So it, you know, I think it, it grabbed me like that. That's mad nifty, did the same thing happen with what followed it? Like with you, what? you said there was a band after that. I believe that's what you were saying is following the turntables. There was a band, I believe that followed. What, sorry, what followed after the turntables and passion? You said you weren't very good at it. And then. Um, well, after the turntables, that's when I started. Uh, I picked up guitar mm. and I became really, really passionate about the guitar for a while. Um, I became, I think I, I became really passionate with it pretty much up until I joined my band later on, which I'm sure we've talked about, which was the Mannequin Brides. Uh, yeah. I played with two brothers who were just mind-bogglingly talented. And after playing with them, I just like, I'm, I'm never gonna play like that. That's all there was to it. So like, I had three amazing years playing bass with these guys and taught me a lot that I needed to know that like Flip the Industry would not have happened if I didn't have my years with them. But it also kind of killed my love for guitar and for bass and for other instruments because I've, I like, they were just so talented and it was so easy for them. And I spent three years desperately trying to wrap my head around music to the extent that they were able to, to play it and I just couldn't. So Yo, it's... that's why my focus is hopefully on my voice these days. We'll find out. I really empathize so fucking heavy with that because I played bass for a minute and uh, I yeah. had this epiphany of I will never, ever be a good bassist compared to the way I can use my voice at that point in my life. I'm like, I'm going to be a rapper. And then I just stopped playing bass yeah. and hard pivoted into the rap world. 
but I was like dead set on being a bassist at like 21 until I realized what real yeah. musicians <laughs> sounded like. And then you start watching like real guys on YouTube doing their thing and you're like, oh, that's another tier. Not even, it's got tier up from what you could achieve is what it feels like. So I relate heavy yeah. to that. And I like that because like, yeah. it's just also like understanding your limitations within the context of your desires. Cause it wasn't just like, I'm going to give up on music. It's I'm going to go work on my voice. You know, like it's understanding you're maybe not going to achieve your own goals within this realm because you've seen what's out there and how big the gap is. Those are actually like pretty powerful things to do within the world of like, what am I, self-awareness, you know, just understanding what you're going for and where you fit into the relative pictures and shit. So I like that you said that a lot. Um, well, look, I also, you know, I, I've never, I'm never completely giving up kind of thing. And as I move forward with my life, with my career now, I very much do hope and plan to go back and study music a little bit more. You know, I, I've been thinking about this um, in the last couple of days, last few weeks, whatever, and especially because you, you were mentioning before, you know, thinking about your goal 20 years down the line kind of thing. And, you know, while the work that I'm doing now is amazingly fulfilling, it's beautiful, it's so fantastic, the impact that I get to have on people, it's not what, you know, human conscious version of Benji like would have chosen kind of thing. And I do really hope to get back towards music. I hope that um, with all of this, I can, like, I, I was thinking about you know, what role can I have still moving back into the music industry in my later years in life? And I hope to take all of the various skills that I've learned throughout this time and to go back and, and hopefully be a producer, you know, to be the man behind some of the best music, you know, 30 years from now kind of thing. Not the man in, in the front, not the performer, which you I would know, love to be, but, you know. It's funny you say that's that. That's a goal. I've had like two or three people recently point out that um, one of the big things Montreal is uh, lacking with regards to shaping and defining its sound, at least in the world of Anglo hip hop, is producers, not beat makers, but like pr what you're describing, pr like producers. Basically, you could argue it's like the creative director of an album. That's like yeah. what a producer is doing. Uh, if an executive producer is the CEO of an album, the producer producer is the creative director. That would be like a way for people to understand it in, in other terms. And I really think that's nifty, especially with that like Octo Launch project you got up to where you effectively just executive produced eight albums at once, big ambitions, came at it with all the right intentions. That's that's definitely a role that's needed. So it's, yeah. it's, to me, it's worth pursuing. And I think that that's actually what I was best at in the studio was leading artists to better discover their own songs, to really connect with the emotions of it a little bit more and to get the right performances out of people and to help build the song into what it needed to be. I definitely wasn't, you know, I would never win any awards as an, like as an engineer or as a mixy, you know, doing my mixing. I, I was never that up on it. Like where my skills and my talent was, was on the production side of things. And, you know, I'm starting to learn and accept more and more that we need to, on top of pursuing our passions, which we do need to do, we need to find where our talents lie. And we need to, you know, come to know ourselves well enough that, 
you know, the more that we can tap into who we truly are and be that person, as opposed to desperately trying to force an identity or a personality, the more success that you're going to have and the easier that life is going to be. So I think that, yeah, it's, it's important to like never give up on the things that you love, but at the same time, recognize what you shine at Mm. and find that, you know, overlap in the Venn diagram between what you're good at and what you enjoy and where those two things overlap, Mm. find a way to make it your life. That's true. And then sometimes if you're willing to just pursue some of the more talent driven shit, if you can find a way to link it back to your passions, then you can just kind of a little bit have it all. I mean, at the end of the day, you just need to find a way to eat and then you can kind of find a way to pursue everything properly and you can blend a lot. Like everything, even my day job is remarkably similar to my artistic pursuits in the way that it manifests in real life. I get to read a lot of stuff on Google. I get to look at some numbers and make some decisions. I get to plan and I get to even make some video work here and there. Like it's kind of a plus, it's a plus gig is all I'm saying. So, but you have to look for that and you have to understand your talents to be able to find a way to go into a company and be like, I can do this for you. You need to kind of know yourself, you know, in a sense. So that's big dope. Um, for the rest, like of Benji's story in that part where like he goes through his twenties, he's in a band, and then he hits the. F- we got, we were, like we really did go through it for like forty five minutes in the last interview, and we like covered like a whole big chunk of that. Um, where we last left off though was you were still working on the Octo launch. Um, what ended up happening with that project? If you want to go into that, did it? I believe you did an event for it, but I don't think I ended up attending this event. Uh, I don't remember why, but I was seriously my workaholic, do like seventeen thousand videos a week phase of my life. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's fully cool. And the the Oxo launch went. I mean, it's a story for sure. Um, and it's interesting because it's a story that like connects with with everything that we're here to actually talk about. Um, just there were a lot of things happening in my life at that point. And basically like right after the launch event that I did for it, which was before the actual launches of the eight albums. So like right after that actual event, which the event went phenomenally, phenomenally, like highlight of my life kind of thing. It was amazing. Um, But right after that, partly in line with the Octolaunch and and what happened, which I'll tell you a couple of the stories there. Um, But along with that, like my whole life started falling apart right there. And that's what led to, you know, what we call in the, in the spiritual community, like my dark night of the soul, which is what led to my awakening, my healing and everything there. Like it was right at that time that everything started falling apart. And there were certain things about the launch that contributed to that for example um look i was i was working my ass off on this thing and i I i bit off way more than i could chew and i was you know sort of like naively optimistic about this stuff for sure but a lot of the artists didn't how can i put this didn't give back at all and I don't mean in terms of money, in terms of anything. I mean, they didn't put in the effort. They didn't put in the respect. They didn't like, one of them backed out the day before the actual launch of his album because like he, he, was, he was late on his album cover for months. When he finally sent it to me, like the day before we were about to release it or like a couple of days before, I sent him 
a very calm, like, okay, well, you know, it's it's your album and however you want to do it, but, you know, the the album cover looks weird for this and this reason. You know, I, I can't remember exactly what they were, but I was very much, look, this is your album. I'm not here to control anything, but here it is. And he, like, flipped out about it. You know, he didn't want to hear any sort of constructive criticism or just any thoughts about it. And he pulled out immediately, like, whoa, I didn't realize that there was going to be any sort of you know, that you had any say in this. I thought it was just like this and like this, and you were going to put it out. Like, look, I don't want to release this anymore. Like, whoa, we've already done all the recording. We've done the production. I've done the mixing. I've done the mastering. Everything is here. And I told you, anyways, I'm getting sidetracked. Point being, that along with a lot of other people who, there's a whole other story here, a whole community of people who were mistreating me at the time who were gaslighting me, who were making me feel like a terrible person for doing nothing but giving them love and giving them care kind of thing. Um, and the way that all of these people were sort of treating me at the time sent me into this vicious shame cycle and spiral where, like I said, I was being made to feel like a bad person for trying to help people. Like this guy, like I, I recorded his, I recorded your songs for you for free. I, I, I wanted like barely anything from you. And we're splitting this stuff. I recorded it. I produced it. I mixed it. I mastered it. I was patient to you for months while you were late and going on about this stuff. And now all of a sudden like that, and you're, you're turning it around on me and, and, and making it like, wow, I, I did something wrong kind of thing. And even when I told that story to my mom, for example, at the time, even her reaction was like, well, what did you do wrong kind of thing? You know, no one was there to support the project no one was there to support me i was being ga gaslighted you know that's just that's the most straightforward term right, I'm, um, gonna, I'm, gonna, <clears throat> I'm gonna just ask this because yo, one of the things we do when i talk to new york people is when we montrealers don't know what the fuck they're talking about i'm like bro what does that even mean just for like the sake of it what does gaslighting mean so gaslighting is it's a form of emotional abuse where you basically turn turn everything around onto this person like it's the, the way that i can best describe it is or, or at least the feeling of it it's like putting a sane person into an insane asylum and treating them as if they are insane okay. and if you treat a sane person like they are insane for long enough you start getting paranoid. You start freaking out. You start questioning your own sanity, your own reality. Like, is it me or is it them? You know, like I said, for these people that this whole community of people that like, and I'll just, it was the burlesque community that I was a part of at the time. Okay. Let's and just not name anyone. They, so I'm not going to name anyone in particular, but like it, it was that community that they were, like I said, I was doing nothing, but being kind and being loving and being whatever. And for some reason, like, you know, my energy, my attitude, it, it irked them. Like we weren't quite a match for whatever reason. I felt like this was the first place in my life that felt like home. And for whatever reason, they didn't quite feel the same way, but no one was willing to say that. No one was willing to like be honest about anything. So every, you know, kind statement that I would make to someone that wasn't willing to be honest kind of thing. They, they would turn it around back on me. I was doing that like I would show up, I, I would show up at, at my job and be nothing but kind, loving. And every time I would try and be loving, they would push me away even more. And because they pushed me away more, I would then feel as if 
well, what am I doing wrong? So I would be even more loving, even more kind. I would be even more outreaching. I would desperately seek their approval more and more. The more that I sought it, the more that they pushed me away, which made me seek it even more because I, I didn't understand what was going on. I allowed them to convince me that there was something wrong with being kind, with being loving, with being me, you know? And so gaslighting is about turning everything onto like it, it's the an example of it is like you know when you might um you know say something insulting or say something harsh and then try and convince the person that you never said it that kind of thing happened to me a lot like they would say really nasty really hurtful things to me and then when i would maturely and patiently confront them about it they're like no i never said that what are you talking about like and now you start questioning yourself. Am I like, did this, did this actually happen? Am, am I seeing things the right way and whatever? And it creates this cycle. The same way that if you take a sane person and put them into an insane asylum and treat them that way, you put on the straitjacket and put them in a padded wall. And every time they try and express themselves calmly to you, you react back as if they're insane. It creates this cycle where by the end of it, I really was acting weird. I was acting desperate. I was acting strange, but none of them were able to realize and accept that like they were the ones that put that cycle into place and neither did I. So that's, that's what gaslighting is. Making the person feel crazy, feel less than, feel shamed for simply expressing themselves. Right. So this is the cast that's, that's ensuing the octo launch and all of the um well that was that was at the same like half of i'd say half of the artists of the octa launch were beautiful amazing people that yeah. i still love yeah, right. you know not necessarily in contact with them but they're amazing and then there was the other half who you know yeah who didn't put in their share and then with everything that was going on with that burlesque community and with some other stuff in my life and with just you know, just this general awakening that I was going through that I didn't yet understand that I was going through everything started falling apart. Um, so the Octa launch, we released, I think, six of them. Two of them never got released. Um, and that was almost, some, yeah, that was some of the last stuff that got done at Flip. Hmm. Yeah, I did always wonder what happened to Flip. But in general, I do appreciate what you're, you're describing. And I mean this with a 0% shade to anybody that I've talked to on this podcast. But you'd be surprised or not at how little people have shared their like clips or anything. Just, just a little sharesy poo. Just that, Hey, I was in this thing. Now, a lot of people have done it, but I was surprised at how small the percentage of people who do it, who doesn't do it is. And, uh, I don't know. And, I'm, and then I questioned myself, am I even like supporting enough? And it, it gets into this weird cycle of, of how do you support and all of this other shit. But like, I feel like if you're involved in this project, where it's like a 50-50, at the very least, the idea is you're going to do a little bit of the hustle work on your end. But I have noticed that artists aren't always willing to necessarily go do hustle work, just in the, the general spectrum of well, I everyone was, I talk to. <clears throat> I was expecting, like, I, I, I'm talking about the bare minimum. Like, one of them, for example, made one post on Facebook when the album came out. That's it. I had put the show together. I was doing promotions for months and months and, and, you know, before and after and doing so much and like, and had to ask her like 10 times, Hey, can you make a post about your album? Because like she had 
she was a, a beautiful artist. She, she was a harp player and she was doing a lot of amazing stuff and she was doing shows and doing it like there were people who wanted the album. If only you would tell them that it exists. Right. And then and then making me feel like an asshole for asking her like, hey, would you mind, you know, making a post about this album that we made and produced together? And she would get back and be like, look, Benji, you know, you've got to lay off a bit. I'm busy. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. That's the kind of gaslighting thing. Like I was perfectly reasonable and I was being overly um, like, Shaw, like, can you please make a post about this album kind of thing? I know we made it together. Like, like, no, I should, this is a, you know, a business and I should be able to say like, Hey, you know, you should be able to post this stuff. But I would ask that console of like, Hey, do you mind kind of doing your part? The, the bare minimum of like letting people know that you have an album yeah. for sale. And it's like, be... Benji, look, I've been really busy. Stop asking like, Whoa. So <laughs> I could, I'd be mad frustrated if I was you. Like, look, I'm actually not that frustrated that people don't push an interview. Let's be real. Y'all probably have songs to push. Monetized my interview, not monetized. I respect that. But back to what I was just saying there, that shit's monetized. Why would you not push a monetized piece of content you created? That's the weirdest thing I ever done heard. Anyway, um, I, I don't understand but I also kind of understand, and it's a big, complicated subject. Uh, on top, yo, shout out Lamef with the raid. That's the beauty of Twitch is this raiding business. Whew, that's so cool. Um, yeah, that just means Buddy was live, and then he arrived with his whole posse of people, and now there's six more people that just showed up to like join the party kind of thing. Twitch is Twitch is the bomb diggity. Gaming Twitch is weird, <laughs> and I know that gaming Twitch has its reputation, but music Twitch... I love music Twitch. I've never had a bad experience on music Twitch. Okay, okay, I had a couple little trolls here. But like 99% of my streaming time on music slash interview Twitch is great. Uh, what's up, Q the Man420? Life is good. We just talking to Benji, a wonderful dude. He lives in the studio. He wrote a book. He's a coach. He's a jack of all brilliance. One of the smartest people I sincerely have talked to throughout the thing. Plus, the guy and I, he knows me back in the day a little bit. You got to see some of the inception. We, we used to like sit there and talk seo and like nobody wants to sit there and talk seo but benji does so i don't know i have great experiences with benji passionate guy i felt like good times um but let's go back to you so you, you you have this whole situation we can establish that artists aren't always down to put the work in let's say it's a global problem we working on it um it, just my one last thought Part of being independent means that you are also your own PR, your own marketing, your own sales. Your own, you're not just artists now. If you really don't want to do the work, go get signed. Because that's what happens when you get signed is they do the work for you. Just wanted to leave it at that. Anyway, I'm just saying I'm with you. Actually, when you empathize, like, I was like, yeah, no, I'd be mad if I was Benji in that set of circumstances. I'd be royally mad, especially because I watched your passion going into that project and the amount of your like, your like soul that you put into it. Um, anyhow, so at this point you mentioned the awakening and that's where it gets really good. And yo, Lameth and everybody, Benji's story, you all read his book, my God. And I'm like, every rapper I know needs to read this book. So I'm just saying it's got some good content to come. So what happens to really get to this awakening? 
like yeah how, yeah that's where we last were you said you had an awakening or okay. you were in the middle of an awakening and you didn't really understand yeah. it everything is falling apart and that's about where we left off with your story yeah well i mean <laughs> like we're, we're talking about this so vaguely so sort of generally like it's, it's hard for me to know exactly where to go uh from there but yeah it was at that time so that that whole thing sent me into this this spiral this cycle where just everything in my life started falling apart bit by bit and there was i, I mean so so many things happening um but it got to the point where i couldn't i couldn't do anything I couldn't focus on anything like I still had the studio, but I found that every recording session I was in, I was just there like tapping my leg and I couldn't focus. And I couldn't pay attention. I wasn't enjoying anything anymore. Um, I, yeah, I had a venue that they stopped working and then I couldn't work or perform at the burlesque thing anymore. And there was this girl that I fell in love with that, you know, everything got fucked up there. Um, and so everything just started spiraling out of control and <sighs> You know, it's really, you know, since we're talking about the awakening, like I said, we're talking about this so generally, it's hard for me to know where my end point is and, and like what we're really talking about here. But Honestly, we're um, talking about your journey and how it, because your journey is what leads to everything that happens. So it's more like you and what you feel are the significant things to share. I don't have an angle. I know you wrote a book. <laughs> I know what's in that one book. And if you watch any of my interviews, it's the same flow. This is your story. And then you choose the significant parts yeah. to fill in. You obviously understand that you can market the shit out of your book, depending on how you spin your story. But it's up to you to really pursue what the significant things are. I'm not trying to put you on blast. I'm not trying to expose any of the uncomfortables. It's just, yeah, you. No, what what I meant, it's it's not about. I, I'm not ashamed to to share anything. What what I guess I'm saying is like more specific questions would help me know mm. what what to say a little bit more as opposed to me trying to figure out how all did the you get out. to an awakening like how does one land on an awakening i mean you say you have one what does an awakening even mean so you're just in the pits so. of not working and awakening happens what fills in that gap okay well so it's not that an awakening happens. Like there are these moments where it does kind of spring up and, and where you can like identify that like that was the night kind of thing, but it's much more of an ongoing process. And this is something that, that you and I were talking about before we got started here, that in the first interview that you and I did together, you already felt my energy. You know that even then I was going through this transition that I didn't recognize at the time. Like, it's it's really interesting now that i'm further along in my awakening now that i am awakened let's say whatever we can discuss what those words mean in a bit um you might notice that my energy is actually much more calm than it was before like i i used to talk much more in this spiritual sense at times and now even when I'm talking about things that are in the slightest spiritual, I can talk about it from a very straightforward, very, you know, calm, you know, I'm, I'm present, grounded point of view. Whereas during that time, I was very much like up in, my energy was very unique, let's say. I was very yeah. much going through it. So as early back as this Octolaunch, I was going through this transition that, I didn't understand and that no one could explain to me because I couldn't express to it and because most people haven't gone through something like this. Now, what is an awakening? 
an awakening can be a lot of things. Um, I mean, like you can have awakenings about, you know, specific topics. You can have an awakening about diet, like where all of a sudden you expand your understanding from calories into cal and calories out to, oh, I understand, you know, the different macros now and how LDL and HGC and how all these things work. It's an expansion of your understanding of a given topic where you move from like this two-dimensional perspective of things to this three-dimensional one where now there's this whole other realm to investigate. You can look at things from this higher perspective. So you can have awakenings about anything, but in general, there are three main sort of kinds of awakenings that people talk about on this journey. There's awakening to the illusions of society, awakening to the illusions of reality, and awakening to the power of your soul, which we can talk about in a second. For anyone who's watching now, you'll see I have a very practical understanding of these spiritual terms. You know, there's there's a sense in which we can look at this from the higher dimensional sort of stuff and, and make sense of it spiritually, but it makes a lot of sense from the straightforward. So... Those are the three kinds of awakenings that we got going. And they're, they're each a little different. The, the first one, you know, awakening to the illusions of society, that's what I think we're calling woke these days. Woke culture. You know, I mean, for, <laughs> for whatever plus or minuses there might be about the people who call themselves woke kind of thing. Um, I think that's what it refers to. Awakening to the illusions of society. We start realizing, you know, all the, the nonsense that we've been putting up with about our own perceptions, about society, about cultures, about racism and sexism, uh, the education system and government and all that sort of stuff. And I think that, you know, it's amazing that more and more people are woke. And being woke is also something that sometimes gets taken to a misunderstanding in an extreme in another sense. Um, so it has its, its pluses and minuses. Anyway, so there's awakening to the illusions of society. Then there's awakening to the illusions of reality, which is what many of us might understand in the Buddhist kind of sense of like, oh, we, re we remember who we are beyond this or we see something. Now, again, there's there are, I think practical explanations for this sort of thing you know we don't especially with quantum mechanics and you know multiple dimensions we're starting to understand that the universe requires more than space and time in order for you know the math of how all of this works to to be accurate so there are other dimensions there are other dimensions to who we are we are used to only perceiving space and time because that's where we live and that's, you know, what we have accustomed ourselves to and what we've been chasing throughout our whole lives. But there are other elements to who we are. And when we start just remembering can I, can that, I ask a question? Yes, please. That energy shit. So like, you know, I can sense a vibe of a person, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I've been really working on this and I feel like even over Zoom, you can kind of get that energy to transfer 80% as good as what I call it. It's not all yeah. the way there that would be like another dimension of existence that we're not like inherently cognizant of but like yo i i, I feel it so i know it's real other people use a lot of words for it some people see colors and i don't see colors i just get yeah. senses yeah. <laughs> okay uh, cool so we are we're on the same page then you're and you're absolutely right that's the perfect like energy is a dimension and it's something that as you go through in a way, like, like you said, some people actually see colors. Some people can actually see energy, which is hard for, like, you have to understand that 
it's really interesting because everything that we're talking about here today and everything that like I'm going to say to you today, if you had said this to me five years ago, I would have rolled my eyes at you and I would have walked out the door. And what this awakening is, is over time and over this process of me healing and diving more into it. And we can talk about this also doing what I like to call not. Yeah. Doing what I called playing chicken with the universe. We'll talk about that. Um, by doing that over the last few years, I've both remembered and gained skills and knowledge and practiced this, this awareness that it's now, this is all true beyond the shadow of a doubt to me. There are some, there are still some things that I have trouble accepting and, you know, truly embodying a belief in, but this notion of energy, for example, is just, oh yeah, like it's, it's real. There's no doubt about it because I can... I can like, I can feel it. I can see it. I can sense it. You know, that's literally a sixth sense that you get used to when you start mm. practicing it. It's not magic. It's tapping into more of who you are. So like we're, we've spent our lifetimes and this is a lot like what I teach centers around this, that we have spent our lifetimes putting up walls against the emotional pain that we've been carrying this whole time. So in moments of emotional distress, we weren't able to express ourselves. We weren't safe to deal with the emotions at the time. So we stuffed it away. We kind of said to our emotional bodies and to our subconscious, like, hey, hold on to this stuff and I'll come back to it later. But we never came back to it later. So all of that stuff is still stuck inside of us. And we have done such a good job of putting up walls around our pain that we have become more and more disconnected from our feelings. And what this sixth sense is, if you want to put it like that, is just tapping into your feelings again. Mm. You know, there are the five senses that we all know we have sight and sound and touch and smell and taste, but emotion is another sense that we have. We just, haven't wrapped our heads around the fact that it's it's equally a sense like the rest of them. And energy is another sense that we have. We just never taught ourselves how to feel it. And, you know, it's super important, especially in like art line. You know, there's some people whose energies, I love them. I just want to fuck with them. I want to make music with them and shit. Just like on our first chat, like, and then some people is more often than not, they don't like me because I get it. I get it, everyone. I have I have an attitude. But, like, some people love it. Some people hate it. And I find that the more in touch I am with accepting this kind of stuff and I try to be perceptive to the different auras or whatever that people put out into the world, it's almost like you can figure out who your peoples are and you can figure out who your peoples are. You can almost sense who's being disingenuous and who's being fake. And you can kind of just get comfortable because yo, maybe you want to be fake with fake people that could be your jam that's not my jam that well because i'm bad at it but like i get it and that's like what i call middle class normative behavior and a lot of people want that shit it's not my cup of tea but it was like that's where i ended up on that and then i realized yo there's something to it and if you really get used to it you can kind of sense things you know like i don't know how else to like you're using better words but it's a really useful way of like finding your team yeah, and that's like a practical you know, reason, you know, to care. Yeah. Like that there is a 
much more subtle dimension of what's going on. Like you can feel the energy and the tone of people's words, even when they don't mean to express it. So that was one of the things that like happened with this whole gaslighting subject that I could very easily tell when people were being disingenuous and rude to me, like I could understand it, but they like in no way would own up to that. So there would be this tension in the conversation and them being really rude and then whatever, but it, it's when, when they don't acknowledge that in any way, their only option is to make you feel like you're crazy for recognizing how they are being rude to you. Anyway, so yes, there's a lot that you can, like you can sense about a person, about their tone, about like one thing that that I recognized early on um, while I was going through my awakening, for example, is that there's a lot that you can tell about someone by the way that they walk. Mm. You know, your your body is a singular mechanism. We hold on to emotional distress in various parts of our bodies, and we also you know have a certain identity in the way that we walk and someone's posture tells you a lot about not their personality at the 3d level but you know how in line with themselves they are you know how in tune in alignment they are within themselves hmm. yeah i could see that you can even see it in the comparison of our body languages respectively in this interview contrary to the one three years ago versus where we were at emotionally in our lives then versus now if y'all want a before and after of that shit <laughs> but that's some big facts i love everything that you're saying because to me it's like stuff that a lot of people don't talk about but you did a lot of research into these topics so before we go on can you just tell people a little bit about the research side of your journey because let's say a person decides to go down a rabbit hole of some of these topics it's a scary reddit you reality land of anecdote it's it's just anecdote land when you start getting into it how does one like navigate the research part um i'm not sure that you're gonna love my answer to this um it Look, especially given the context of what I went through, and we have to keep in mind that, like, I'm dancing around the fact that this really was a spiritual awakening, you know, because it, it, it's still, even I still, I, I try and find that line of, like, where, how much do I want to talk about the practical side and how much do I want to talk about the spiritual side because I want this to be accessible to everyone. I want people to understand that spiritual awakening is not this insane thing that doesn't fit with physical reality. They they all make, it all makes sense. It all fits together. Um but it finds you. I do like that. That's, answer. you know, that this kind of awakening, that's, that's sort of how it tends to go. And I'll also admit that, look, a lot of what we learn on this journey tends, turns out not to be true or to, to have like, how can I put this? I think that a lot of the things that I was pointed to while I was going through my awakening, the things that like were shown to me, like I said, you know, this information finds you. I look at it often enough like the Oracle in the Matrix. Her job isn't to tell you what's true. Her job is to tell you what you need to know to get you to where you need to be. So 
you know, like I said, at, at this point in my journey and my awakening, I think I've come a lot more down to earth in terms of how I can see my spiritual beliefs, how I can express them and how I can teach them. But while I was going through this sort of stuff, the research led me down a lot of rabbit holes that like, I think, you know, they all tend, they all end up basically like a conspiracy theory where, you know, if you go 10 feet down the rabbit hole, you find truth. But then you don't understand that you found truth and you keep on digging down the rabbit hole. And now you're 50 feet down the rabbit hole and you left the truth 40 feet up at the top. So I think that there are lines to, you know, some of the things that we get shown in the research. So there was a lot of stuff that was shown to me that led me down either these ultra spiritual paths. And I'll tell you, even for like for two weeks, three weeks, maybe even I was unsure about this whole Q stuff. And I was getting wrapped up in it because like Mm -hmm. Q did hijack a lot of people on their spiritual awakenings. It touched on a lot of these things. So the research, it it was stuff that found me and like, you, you know, depending on what kind of research you were talking about, just as you know, an interesting side note or an interesting story. Um, you know, we were talking about how I was going through this before I realized that I was going through it. I was going through it as early as the Octolaunch when we had our first interview, but I didn't recognize any of this. I didn't understand it until later. And we still haven't really talked about what the awakening was, but anyways, I was going through this. Sorry? I said, you're crashing this. This is wonderful. Oh, okay. I thought you said like I was freezing. Um, Like my my internet was crashing or whatever. Um, So... I was going through it for quite a while and didn't know, didn't understand. And I remember the first time that I actually went online and typed in symptoms of spiritual awakening. And I was firstly at the time, just mind blown to find out that like, oh, there are plenty, like countless websites saying this. And so I clicked on, you know, some of them and I was reading them go like, oh my God, that is exactly what is happening. And, and things started making sense from there, but it, but it took a while for me to understand what was happening. And to circle back around, um, you know, to what is awakening, because well, I didn't even can really I just pause finish. To answer yeah. the research question, if I understand correctly, is it's a terrible clusterfuck, but go do it and you'll find your answer. Yes, that's no, that's not really what I was saying. Um, what I was saying is it happens when you're ready for it. Okay. Like you can't force it. Like I've been looking for answers my whole life, but I couldn't see or understand the answers until it happened in my brain. There's, there's a switch that flipped, which by the way, it, it, yeah, it, it applies to me with music also. You know, when we were talking before about, you know, played with these guys for a while and they were so mind-blowingly talented and I couldn't wrap my head around it. There's this, I have this blockage about music theory. Now, like maybe I could have spent more time on it. I haven't spent as much as I could, but like I found I was never able to really wrap my head around it except for like two or three brief periods in my life where all of a sudden, oh my God, I understood it. I could see it. I could see the connection between the notes and between the chords. And I understood how everything was fitting together for one brief moment in time. And then it kind of like faded Mm. away. And that's kind of what this stuff is that like, until 
your brain is ready for it. So you like, so the research in a sense gives you enough ways to kind of come at you to allow yourself to like kind of lube up and be ready for it in a sense. And then you get the message when the time is ready. Well, it's kind of like the information, you know, part of what awakening is, you know, you start realizing that like these things and these answers, they've been in front of you the whole time. You know, as we said before, awakening is moving from 2D to 3D. It's actually 3D to 5D, but like, whatever, we're not going to get into that for now. It's, it's an expansion of your perspective on a particular notion. So you can, like all of the things that you need to know, it's kind of like you've already been told them. You just weren't ready to understand them yet. You couldn't see, like, you know, there's a reason why cliched wisdom becomes cliched because it is all the information that we need to know about life kind of thing. But you can hear these cliched statements a thousand times and it's only in that one moment when like something happens to you in your life, does that old saying, oh my God, I get what they mean now. Or it's, it's kind of like you can hear a million songs about love but you'll never understand it until it happens to you. And like then all of it, I don't know if you've ever quite felt that, that strong, passionate, intense love, or like in that moment, every song on the radio is about that person. Every story that you read is about that person. Absolutely everything in your life is about that person. You can't escape it. And then all of a sudden, all of those lyrics from the 50s and 60s and 70s start making sense. You're like, oh my God, it's that's exactly what it is. Mm. So you've heard these things a million times before, um, but when your mind is ready, to open up to it, these things will start clicking and you'll actually start following it. But that's when we get a little messed up because these things that used to sound like conspiracy theories start making a little bit of sense to us, but we haven't learned how to, how to rein it all in yet. It's like, if, if you recognize at one moment that like everything you once knew is a lie, now there are no rules on your perspective. So there are no limits to what you're now willing to accept as a new reality and, and what you're trying to cling on to. And it leads to this very weird period in your awakening where, yeah, you lose touch with reality. And that is when a lot of this transformation starts happening. People tend to lose a lot of friends and they lose their jobs and they lose whatever because awakening, as it turns out, is a real thing. Like I said, I looked it up and found symptoms of spiritual awakening. And, you know, the way that I started doing this coaching and this work more and more is because I was expressing my viewpoint and my wisdom and my knowledge about my own journey and started seeing very clearly how like, oh my God, there are millions of people going through this and no one knows how to talk about it because there is a big problem. Like, you know, as I'm doing my best to, to walk the line here between the practical and the spiritual, there are very few people that can do that out there. So there are these spiritual teachers with, who often don't offer people any practical guidance or as enough practical guidance to help them move from their old perspectives to this higher view of reality, which is why people like me, for example, took so long to wake up. I was very resistant to spiritual language and spiritual talk for most of my life because I saw that most spiritual people didn't 
understand even what they were saying. No, but even to yeah. like just to, to add to that, if you go back to what you were describing earlier with the cultural forces that discourage you from dancing, I know in my life I had cultural forces that were discouraging me away from a lot of this spiritual language. Like I remember dating this girl 12, 13 years ago even. And she was telling me about energies. And she, she had this crazy story where one time she said, it was the middle of the night, told me how she could tell her something was wrong with her brother's lung. And I thought she was like, whatever, whatever. Turned out something was wrong with some water in the lung. I don't know, some crap like that. But it was real. And I'm like, that stuck with me, right? Like, I mean, I didn't really believe it then because you're still like in this, like, you know, 2005-ish, 12-ish, whatever. Back in the day times, I don't remember when. And uh, culture was definitely not like accepting of it. Everything down to the movies. Like, didn't uh, what's his name? Uh, never mind. I can't remember his name. Culture was not on board with this shit. And then all of a sudden, it just like flipped. <laughs> it just flipped in the mid 2010s, and all of a sudden, it got like lit for some reason. I guess money, money would probably be a lot of it. A lot of people made a lot of money on the people in their confusing stages. But like, I think. The part of that that comes after that battleground is that now there's more concrete like sources of knowledge such as your books that exist where look i wouldn't co-sign your shit if i didn't read the book and go yo i actually agree with what you wrote there there's a couple parts where i'm like that's a little out there for me but you didn't actually come at it in a way where it's like this is facts the whole way you're through you're like this is how i feel about the situation and I, I accepted those distinctions you made along the way. I'm like, I can live with this. But the core message was really powerful and really showed that, like, this can be translated into a lot of people's lives. I would use a fuck ton of different languages and metaphors to convey the same meaning that you're getting to with your books. So I'm like, nah, yo, I'm, like, spitting this kind of game with some people's. You're spitting this game in that language over there. So I do think that, there is a more concrete understanding yo the craziest one for me was when i talked to this like 17 year old and he told me to him being manly was to be vulnerable and express your emotions that gets the girls because it's brave and courageous because of the way dudes my age be chest puffing and shit and i'm like wow this is not the same world no more it's changing yeah. like like everybody's a little caterpillar metamorphizing into a butterfly type thing and then we're on the way there and so yeah i definitely think there are cultural forces at play that makes it hard to accept the language until you're ready to in your own journey yeah. anyway that's cool and it, yeah but like and it was hard like you said it was harder before also just look the world wasn't ready the same way that you know as individuals we all become ready at a certain point as a culture as a global community like we were becoming ready at a certain point like you said it happened you know somewhere around the 2010s where it picked up it's not like it literally started at one point there have been people awakening in, in every culture and every society for for you know forever um but it definitely has been hitting a new peak now. And even as you were saying, because like, you know, what I'm talking about in terms of awakening is largely just this emotional maturity, you know, this, this deeper connection to who we are. We are reawakening to the deeper parts of who we are. And so, you know, we had spent 
years and decades pushing aside our emotions. And now here you're talking about this other dude who's saying like, look, no, the future of manliness is actually being in touch with our feelings. We're reconnecting with a whole other dimension of who we are that we had pushed away this whole time. So one thing that I do like, you know, I tell the people that, because in the sort of spiritual, the metaphysical community, we're all talking about, like, we know that there is a mass awakening going on here. But again, as I was saying, a lot of people take this, this wisdom and, and go a little overboard with it. They think that we're all going to experience this, you know, you know paradise on earth, nirvana kind of thing, where we're all going to hold hands and sing kumbaya sort of shit. Um, what I try to express to these people is, yes, the world is going through a mass awakening right now. And yes, some of us are spiritual teachers here to help as we go through that. But most people are not going to experience that as an awakening. The mass awakening that we're going through as a global community is about connecting to a deeper part of who we are. It's about that emotional breakthrough. The way that I like to express it is... Um, Awakening is basically like spiritual and emotional puberty. It's like there were all of these latent parts of ourselves that were buried inside of us, that were waiting to come online the same way that like our sexual organs were there before puberty, but they weren't doing anything. Mm. And that's what awakening is at the spiritual and at the emotional level. There's this part of you that's, that's starting to, to come online. And for the first time, go, wait a minute, really? Like, is, is this how I've been living? Is this, is, is this how I want to, to act? Is this how I want to react to people? Is it like, and you start noticing this pain that you've been in and the, and the ways that you haven't been being true to yourself and all of those things at the practical level, that's what a spiritual awakening is. Now, the more that you start connecting to that and the more that you start doing the healing and all that sort of stuff, the healing, which is what I teach people and, you know, what this whole sort of conversation is about. But as you start doing more and more of the healing, you start connecting to more and more of who you are. You awaken those parts of yourself and you learn to operate from this higher perspective. And from there, spiritual concepts that used to sound completely insane now start making sense. So that's the path that we go through. It is practical at the beginning it's just about and it's just about recognizing so much of the pain that we've been in our whole lives but have blocked ourselves off from or so many of the ways that we're being fake and not being true to ourselves and betraying ourselves and just and not seeing things properly and giving ourselves to way giving ourselves away to people who who aren't necessarily giving anything back or treating ourselves in ways in which we are holding ourselves back it's recognizing the subconscious cycles that have been keeping you trapped. Like we didn't used to realize these things about ourselves that like, we didn't used to realize how we were helping to create the very scenarios that, you know, we hate in our lives. We didn't recognize this. We didn't recognize our role. We didn't recognize our emotions. We didn't recognize how we just, we were always getting triggered. You know, when someone said something rude to us, for example, it's not actually in our best interest to get angry back or to feel offended. Like, why am I allowing myself to feel offended? Well, because I believe that there's like, this is a real problem here. Like, how dare this person and my ego and my, my sense of self and, and how dare he challenge me. But 
when you start recognizing like, look, this is, that's hit. He was being rude. I don't need to let it get to me. Why am I so invested in these things? You start recognizing the nonsense of all the ways in which your emotions have been controlling your actions. And you start recognizing how when someone is rude to me and I get angry at them, then they get angrier at me and I get angrier at them and they get angrier at me. And you start recognizing these cycles that you used to just play in. We used to play that anger game a lot. We used to get into arguments. And at a certain point, you start recognizing, why am I doing this? Mm. There's no benefit here. And you start maturing and you stop needing to defend yourself. And that is part of awakening. Yeah, I feel that. I used to like go to town on Facebook comments. And now I'm like... I literally said to somebody like this is my new thing if you if i if i'm into like a thread but i want to talk to you i'll just be like i'm not interested in debating this with you in particular i'm sorry and then i'll just keep the thread going with everyone else because sometimes you just don't want to and you know what's fun you don't have to you can just kind of roll with it you know um so you basically go on this awakening and then you're getting ingratiated into these online communities that exist is what I'm understanding at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was looking for answers for one thing. And once I found, like I said, these things kind of find you. And I just kind of kept on going where, wherever I was being led at the time. And this is what I was saying earlier, which I I saw you smirk at. So like I, I was basically this whole awakening process was a process of me playing chicken with the universe you know i got to this point where look everything in my life had fallen apart but you know (laughs) like there's nothing left um and i was having these intuitions these weird thoughts about spiritual awakening about this higher perspective about kind of whatever it was and i i couldn't help myself i had to like i put everything on the line You know, I went $40,000 into debt going on my spiritual awakening, just trusting that everything was going to work out kind of thing, like following the path that I needed to take, taking courses that I needed to take or learning certain things or, you know, I I had (laughs) all sorts of things. I was following the path that was lighting itself up for me and just throwing everything on the line. And my explanation of it being that, like, even if you don't believe in God, when a bush lights itself on fire and tells you to build an ark, you build a freaking ark. And that's what was going on with me. I was having these weird <laughs> intuitions, just this weird guidance inside of me. And I thought, well, like, look, this is my one chance in life to find out, to find out if there is anything more. You know, like, I'm just going to follow it. I'm going to put everything online. I'm going to risk everything that I have because I'm feeling this strongly about it right now because I can't help it. Like I said, it was, you know, I, I, I can't help but put this in spiritual language. My higher self stepped in. The same way that, like, hey, hold up. If you're going to use spiritual language, of, let's break it down. What's a higher self? Um, It's your oversoul, let's say. The soul that incarnates into a body. Like only a point, it's like, imagine that this, my body is the soul, like your my higher self and that, that's Benji. And Benji is playing with a finger puppet. Or like the soul is playing with a finger puppet over there. That's Benji. This is the 5D soul, you know, the, the higher self that is aware of the fullness of who we are. It's the part of you that isn't currently restricted in your physical body. 
because Hold you on. are more is, than this is gonna be a little tangential is this like yeah. the stuff that like when people do dmt they start talking about um yes absolutely i mean whether like the way that i look at it with psychedelics is psychedelics show <laughs> us these things like it shows us these states that we then need to learn how to get to on our own okay you know like we can experience those things briefly through psychedelics and those are yeah it's 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 the same type of realm it's, it's overall the same stuff now we would have to get into a different discussion about whether or not dmt actually takes you to that other realm or whether it's uh, you know in your head i don't get into that um because i don't want to pick a side on that one way or another really <laughs> that's okay i i mean i want to put you in that position given what you do I'm just going, hold up. A lot of what you're saying kind of sounds like the people who made a lot of money on crypto and got into DMT four months ago. And they were posting on Facebook. And I'm like, because there were a few people I know, you know, I don't know them, but like, you know, you know them. And then they were all saying this kind of stuff. Like, like, yo, it got kind of wild. I don't want to go too deep with it because it might be too specific. But it got kind of wild looking at this. And I'm like... But when you say it the way you're saying it, it's all peaceful versions of it. And it's kind of nifty to this, that there's this whole, like, like again, for me, it's still in that phase where I'm like, look, I'm willing to go with, there's a whole other realm of existence. I'm not cognitively aware of where stuff is going on in higher self. Like I'm, I, I'm not like there yet, but I'm willing to acknowledge it could be like a thing. So it's nifty. It's nifty to listen to. It's also like, when Joe Rogan has that face where he's like, what the fuck is he, you know, a little bit like that too is going on at the yeah. same time. But no, it is, it's like, I'm willing to just look at it. Like, okay. So, so many different sources can like tap into this main, like thing. There's something to it. Maybe I'm not there, but there's something to it, you know? Yeah. Well, that is absolute. And like, okay. So along this, this spiritual journey, there are a lot of things that, like I said, I had to start trying to, wrap my head around trying start trying to accept including like you were saying you know the friend that told you about her brother who you know had this thing wrong with him that she was able to sense like that is something that makes no sense in the physical realm kind of thing but when you understand this notion of multiple dimensions which again we can talk a, a bit about that if, if you want to talk about like what is i mean we're talking about energy emotion Bro, whatever i want to talk about other. all this stuff this is all interesting i have had zero percent <laughs> boredom here <laughs> so there are these other these other dimensions these other elements of who we are of what reality is and we experience everything on the in the dimensions of space and time but there's more going on and you know when you hear these little stories about you know this person who something was wrong with her brother and she was she was able to know it and we start hearing more and more stories about this stuff like i said at the 3d level it doesn't make sense but when you understand how a higher dimension fits into this like it actually makes perfect sense there's nothing really weird about it the only the only reason why it's so weird is because our human minds have trouble whether or not it's even truly possible to actually envision a four-dimensional or five-dimensional object you can find through like drawings and representations of what a four-dimensional object is like a tesseract is a cube of cubes at the fourth dimensional level it's sort of like a four-dimensional cube 
if you were to look at it in the three dimensions, would just be a single cube. But in that singular space, there are actually a whole bunch of different kinds of cubes. Think about it of like, this is the difficulty. This is why your brain has to be ready to it. It's, it's very hard to express what this means. But like, imagine you took a blue orb of light, you know, envision a blue orb of light over here. And then you envision a yellow orb of light. Let's say the blue orb represents the physical dimension. It's every space that you can go to in the physical dimension. And let's say the yellow orb represents the temporal dimension. There's all the, you know, all the different points in times, infinite points in times you can go to. If you put those two on top of each other, now you have a green orb. That green orb is a multidimensional orb. Because it, like, even though you're looking at one thing and it's in one space and it's green, it's actually the com it's it's the overlap of a blue orb and a yellow orb now if you add in a red orb and a brown orb and a purple orb and a violet orb and all those and you put them all together now you have this glowing white orb and that is reality it's all of the different dimensions crammed on top of each other in the same space it's it's just hard for our brains to wrap our heads around this sort of concept and to explain it in a way like if I was a graph, if I was really good at animation on the computer, maybe I could put together these visuals that would help explain it. No, it would still be like hard to understand. I mean, it would be a little easier to. Fo I followed your visuals, but I felt your visuals were nice. But like in general, yo, it's a bit of a trip. Um, I liked a lot of Star Trek. A little easier for me to get on board with this shit. You already go through multiverses and space-time continuums and streets. You know, you get used to the idea. I even read that uh, a brief history of time and space. So if the fact of the matter is we could perceive and pass through time at different intervals, according to that dude, Hawkins, I think. Um, and that's what he said in that book. Literally, we could have based on shit. I don't remember what it was that you and I could perceive time slightly different. That means it's got to be a little off according to physics. So like as in like there could be something to time being not so static as we all perceive it and more fluxy so therefore everything could be wavy in a sense like i mean by wavy as in like i perceive like we all perceive the world in the way that we do but then again what is it what else is out there in regards to you are so hard to explain this shit dude you put a lot of thought into your like color metaphor thing that shit's banging i'm like dying over here i'm like how the fuck do you even explain this nah like it's kind of just like, yo, I always looked at it like we're a carbon-based life form, right? But I also, I'm going to go there with aliens, but like I also kind of find, I don't necessarily know that aliens exist, but I feel like it's kind of arrogant to think that there's no other life in the entire universe. It would be kind of weird. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But what if like they're not carbon-based, right? Like, what if they're, like, aluminum-based? Yo, that's another element. Aluminium, whatever. It's one of the elements. What if that's how it is? Like, there's no air. They, like, fucking... You know, I, I do these, like, thought experiments sometimes where I imagine this shit because I'm fascinated. I don't remember what sci-fi put that crap in my head. But it's kind of like that. Like, we just understand the world as we perceive it. And then all of a sudden, we could find out that, like, it's we're not even carbon-based. We were just wrong, because all science is hypotheses that are unproven. 
on people act like this shit's hard facts but bro like this is apparently like 99% space but I can't put my hand through it like there's a lot of like fucking magic tricks you already have to play on your mind to like perceive reality with the agreed upon rules that we call facts which if you eat the word fact is like an agreed upon census of something so yo we all like throw facts around like they're hard but it's still democratic and so yo reality's whack when you really go down this rabbit hole so I, i'm i'm into this is what i'm saying but i appreciate i appreciate how deep you've gone with it right and how like you're able to to like make it simple like just kind of have these little metaphors and ways to break it down even if it's not i don't know they're not simple things like we're talking like deep philosophy shit in my opinion i geek yeah. on this stuff for real <laughs> like that's that, that that's the gift that i have it's not necessarily the wisdom or the knowledge it's it's the gift of translation i, I can express things now but like so you were saying a moment ago um you know what if aliens are you know they're not carbon-based i'll do you one better what if they are not physical we're talking about multiple dimensions here this is the whole point and this is in fact kind of what i believe that like you know whatever we might want to call aliens are a thing like we're, we're always looking for things in the physical realm we don't, we can't understand something that like you and i we are consciousness is focused on the physical world in front of us but we were just talking about how there's also energy there's also emotion there's also electricity there's also whatever who's to say that consciousness needs to be restricted into a body of the physical world there can be energy bodies electrical bodies there might be mm. other forms of consciousness and being and we need to expand our understanding of how this all works like this is again what the awakening is all about it's starting to recognize that like oh right until recently we had been Yo. restricting our consciousness to the perspective of space that's it we were only looking at space that's fair and then bonnie just brought up a great point in the comments we could be minuscule compared to uh, like we could be like the ants yeah in this yo the light an atom for sure Oof, it's really a trip to like your mind just goes it goes down this like crazy set of boundaries i could so i guess that's where people like benji come in you having a hard time with it coach man's over there don't come to me my guy i don't know if i have the fortitude to be a coach person for that type of shit but that's why benji's here he is a specialist at this type of shit I like honestly look at how much he knows on it i'm really impressed like honestly i'm impressed <laughs> by like how deep it goes like I, there was a little part of me that was like nah he's gonna go off on this work and i'm gonna be like mm, no but you kept it like really interesting but also like nah i want to know more about the multi i want to know 5d now i watch y'all use 5d for like a million fucking years and i'm like what the fuck does that mean <laughs> like what is the four and the five d's then okay so space actually is the first three dimension you know the, the three dimensions of space which I, I think that a lot of these are misnomers a little bit which you might come to understand so there's space which is three dimensions time is generally looked at as the fourth dimension you know if you read a brief history of, of time right. uh stephen hawking's like he talks about that time right. is the fourth dimension that's that's recognized scientifically and what is the fifth dimension well let's talk about that i mean to me so hold on 
5D is one of these terms that's thrown around in the, you know, spiritual metaphysical community that, like I've been saying about a lot of these things, I think there's huge amounts of truth to all of this and that the vast majority of people, even who are on this journey and who are in those communities don't truly understand them. And that's why there are people like me to try and, you know, express these sort of things. So 5D is this sort of generic term um, that has been associated either with, either with, you know, awakening and raising your consciousness and, you know, having this, this greater perspective or with this kind of like magical new earth kind of thing, which it's not false to say that even. It's just that people get these idealistic views of what it really means. And, you know, there are all of these sort of cult-like groups that, that like to sort of hijack these spiritual people. Um, you know, Ashtar Command or the... They make videos. Sorry? Gwyneth Paltrow is not helping your cause. Oh, okay. I haven't heard what she... she but like, yeah, exactly. Group movement and group and it's the weirdest shit ever, dude. It's just weird. Yeah. I don't know. So if, this, anyway, go on. Well, yeah, but so this is the thing. And like <clears throat> a lot of people go through awakenings and then go completely off the rails because they're not prepared for this at the emotional or the intellectual level. And this is why, you know, we were saying before that, um, you know, it's going to happen when you're ready for it because I mean, some people aren't necessarily ready for it, but until that time, anyway, your brain is protecting you. Okay. It's like it, it can mess with your perception of reality. When you start, like I said, you, you have this period where you start recognizing that the limits that you had on reality weren't really like, weren't real, but now you, you have no limits and you don't know what to believe. And you're kind of like you're most people are willing to believe the first thing that comes to them. And most people like to take, the shiny, happy, good feeling elements of spirituality without learning the lessons about it, without understanding this. And they are very susceptible to getting drawn off in a direction that they don't understand. Because, and this is what we were, what I was talking about earlier, that emotion is that middle ground. You need, you can't just jump from this physical understanding of the world to the spiritual. You need to prepare in the middle. You need to grow emotionally. You need to let go of fear and anger and guilt and shame. You need to raise your consciousness and understand things at a higher level because if you shift your perspective right to the spiritual without having done that in the middle, you completely lose touch with reality and with any sort of uh, just with any sort of conception of, of what is real and what is not. And some people kind of get caught up in that and, and never come back. And there's a lot of it that's happening now. Like even I know, I know quite a few people who have, you know, been forcibly hospitalized and in mental wards over the last few years, some of them being clients and some of them being like friends of friends kind of thing. Um, and, you know, when you experience that, like it just, it perpetuates, it makes it even worse. When people start treating you like you're insane, that's the whole kind of gaslighting thing. Anyways. Um, Hold up. I don't mean, I don't want to go like in a way that exposes your like anecdotes or your personal side. But are you saying that like as people try to cope on their own healing journeys, the level of opposition towards this kind of journey can quite literally in some cases, depending on 
how people manifest this go that far with it like locked up in a in a ward by like forced hospitalization and things like that yeah um because look like i said when you start there's one person in particular who i'm thinking of um and yeah going through this kind of awakening while at the same time like he wasn't emotionally prepared for it and you know with everything that was happening in the world and you know some drug problems and all that kind of stuff he got really swept up in a lot of paranoia and a lot of conspiracy theories and he you know that that was his story but then there are other people that i know and clients of mine who didn't quite go off the rails in that sense it's just Look, when you start going through this spiritual awakening, people who, who start experiencing spiritual phenomena or something like, something like it on that end, like I said, when we go through it, we tend to be very emotionally vulnerable. And when we don't understand what we're going through and we try and express it to other people that can't understand it because they haven't gone through this awakening and we don't understand that they can't understand it and we're in a lot of pain and it just keeps cycling and going around and around people's families don't know how to help you know so a lot of them they yeah they do get hospitalized not usually it's not like a long-term basis for most of them but you know they're like we get look, the journey gets really weird. When your reality starts breaking and you don't know who you are anymore and you don't know what the world is anymore and you start experiencing things like energy and then, you know, these intense out-of-body experiences or weird sort of dreams or like all of these things that you didn't used to believe in are starting to make sense to you all of a sudden. And and a lot of people, you know, their, their religion stops making sense or, or their jobs stop making sense or their families and relationships stop making sense. There's so much that's crumbling around us. And when we don't understand that that's, you know, that the spiritual realm of this is true because we, we are still doubtful of it. Like we're just coming out of this right now and everyone around us is still in that phase. They don't know how to reassure us and they don't believe in this sort of stuff. It's like, imagine being the first person in your town to ever go through puberty. And you're trying to explain to these people, not only about the physical changes in oh your body, but gosh. all these things that you're feeling now. And they can't understand you. They can't because they haven't gone through it. So you're trying to explain to them, but like, but these changes are happening to my body and I, and I feel all of this weird energy inside of me. And all of a sudden, I, like I, I'm having these arousals, but you don't even know what arousal is. You've never been taught this. You're the first person in your in your town to ever experience puberty and no one else can, can understand or make sense of it. And it's very painful. Puberty is also very painful at the emotional and the physical level. It's all very confusing. So when you're going through this thing and your whole reality is falling apart and you're desperately reaching out to the people around you for help and they can't possibly help you. And the best that they can do is say, like, you should get help. Like, well, then help me. Like, you know, so. <laughs> Yo, man, it's like, okay, like, on the real, it hits on a lot of levels. On a lot of levels. Just like, I've gone through my own version of that part where, like, I remember a lot of people being like, I have this moment where I vividly remember where, like, you get to a point too where you're like, you get good and you get a lot better, but you're not there yet. That's where it's the hardest because you kind of like, let's call it like passable like people are like you just blend in a lot better now and then you just have these weirdnesses and then people start being like well why don't you just try harder and you're like 
you don't know me for you don't know how little you would have liked me four years ago <laughs> like you don't know <laughs> that part of it and it's such a journey and whatnot but why like i think it's super powerful what you're saying is because you know the scale of the number of because let's be real you're, you were like in an environment where you were like alone in a sense by yourself and it what just happened to like an astronomically larger percentage of the population over the last year like yo i know for a fact that a ton of people in my timelines at least have gone through their own version of this we're all like nicer to each other and we're all like more tolerant of each other and it's like there's there's something there's something in the air we're like it's like let's praise each other more and it's like it's cool it's it's it's, it's fun that, but, that's kind of what I'm saying when when I say like you know the people who are talking about 5D and this new earth kind of thing there is a truth to it it's just like okay when you over spiritualize the concept and think we're all going to be standing in, in a giant ray of light like no it's not that but we are reaching a point where more and more people are just connected and kind and oh let's praise each other and when you combine that with the level of technology that we're just about at you know there is such potential for more or less a paradise on earth it's going to take a long time but like mm. i'm very optimistic about the future of humanity i do think though that the growing pains part's about to kick in and the full scale because what you just described right like imagine the number of people that are about to kind of like go through weird shit in their own circles like yo one thing that really happened to me over the last three four years is I barely know any of the people I knew four years ago. I don't. They're not my friends no more. They're not really in my circle. Chris Chrome is there. Shout out Chris Chrome. Shout out Bonnie. But like most people back then, with some exceptions, are not really there no more. They're like there, but they're not really there. Like they were there, you know. Like, and it's all these new faces and these new energies that I was finding myself looking for. Like, because when you get to that energy level, I find that, like, a lot of us choose circumstance to pick the people we want to be around. So, like, in my case, I'm at work half the time. What, a third of your life is spent in an office place. You, you go end up wanting to be around these people and whatnot. You go to these sank sets to go do the things. But that's all, like, energies that are around you. I'm personally terrified of going back to the office place should that day ever be forced upon me because of the energies that exist there so so this is why by the way like this is this is one of the reasons why 2020 is has actually been crucial to the development of mankind because like you said it has pushed a lot of people into that introspection that what's happening is when you are constantly surrounded by all of those other energies and when you are constantly so involved in the social game and in the work-life game and all those sort of things we're much more distracted. That's playing the 3D game. That's being distracted by the illusion and like thinking everything mm. is so real. But the more that you kind of get isolated into your own spot for a little bit, you get less distracted by all of those weird energies around you, by all of those other people and by that game. And so a lot of people have been experiencing things like this, have been experiencing awakening. So like, I started going through it a few years ahead of time so that I could be here and in place when it happened. And I'll be honest with you, like when the pandemic started hitting and, and all of that stuff, everything else that was happening in 2020 and how insane it was, 
when that started happening, it was actually, for me, some of the most reassuring shit of my life. Because I was able to look at it for that moment and be like, oh, that's why I went through my my awakening when I did. Like, because the world, like, I, I needed to be here now. I needed to be ready ahead of time for what was going on. And, like, it, you know, when I used before the example of, you know, when when a bush lights itself on fire and tells you to build an ark, you go and build a freaking ark. The reason is because if it, if you build an ark and it floods, it proves the existence of God, does it not? If a bush lights itself on fire and tells you, hey, there's going to be a flood in four years, and then four years from, the, from then there, there's a flood, I mean, it basically proves that the bush was correct, right? I get, Yes, for the sake of where you're going with this, yes. Keeping in mind, like, I'm not saying God in a like. No, I mean, I'm just yeah. Saying, like, I, look, I, I was, it's like mental I, gymnastics just, to get there in my own head. I can come up with parallels that make sense to me with that. Basically, like, like, I, like it's basically at that point you believe in a sense of predestiny. Like, we are here for a purpose. I mean, that's, how, that's where my brain goes with it, right? So maybe it's not what you were conveying. But when I hear that... My brain goes down the path like, yo, so I'm doing some shit today for some destiny that's written for me over there. Because you know, maybe that's not like the fully what you were conveying. You know, destiny looks at it in this very external way. And that's why it's a frustrating thing to sort of look at. But for example, in terms of destiny okay. and in terms of awakening, <laughs> let, let's talk about this. That one of the things that, that my awakening is all about is I look. I know more and more and more, and I mentioned this, I think, in the book. I, I know I mentioned it in at least one book, but maybe in the one that, that I wrote there. I realized more and more and more how this was always me. Mm. I like, In fact, my whole struggle in my whole life was that this version of me existed inside of me the whole time, and I was so distracted and playing the 3D game and trying to put on a mask and trying to be someone else that the world wanted me to be that this version of me was locked inside. So it's not about destiny it's about identity if anything it's just like this is who i am at my core and you know we are here in a sense to to learn and grow and evolve and i i do believe that like everyone has you know something that they're here to offer to this world and our job in this life is to polish ourselves enough to be able to let that out to be able to share whatever it is that is unique about us in its purest form with the world. Oh my God, it's like you say it in such a very different way with a completely different line of reasoning. But I fucking agree with everything you just said. I'm just like, yo, if you want to succeed in life and make them stacks, figure out what the fuck you can do that actually contributes to a greater situation. Like everybody want to say team until it comes down to roles and then everybody want to play the same role. Well, I mean, that's not conducive for success. Everybody got to play different roles, and, you know, so that comes back to talent. So it's like part of why Chris and I get along is because we all accepted my visual skills are trash. I don't just, you know, I don't decide it. They do. Other people make those decisions. I get to choose the stuff I'm good at and give up control of the things I'm not. And it creates ownership of different elements of things. And we can all kind of prosper in our own ways. But it's also like, yo, listen, I didn't come into the rap game to be an interviewer but this is a blessed way to spend a monday night is it not <sighs> you know that's just like where you're at in life and then this is a talent 
I think. I mean, you're a talker. I feel like we're running it. This is still good shit for me. Um, and the fact that we can have these conversations on this platform just is beautiful. But it, like, it also required understanding. Maybe album reviews was a shitty focus. Because doing that to death wasn't my favorite focus. And the passion changed. Now we do this. And I'm like, yo, this is fun. I could do this for years now. And I feel good about it. Maybe I changed my mind in three years. But for now, it's the funnest shit ever. Um, but it also required understanding the talents and, and the importance of also what my content does in the bigger picture of the scheme of the universe. Does the world really need another reviewer? But you know what Montreal does need? English media. <laughs> That's a real thing it needs. <laughs> Just like on, on a fact situation. I think we could all agree that that's a real thing. So I love what you're saying because like it, it resonates with me. But it's so from like a capitalistic career grinded out perspective, but we fundamentally what? no it's my version of it. Oh, yours. Okay. My <laughs> version of it is like pure like grind this yeah. and that, but it ends up coming to the same place of like, let the universe flow for you. And, you know, you go from like hyper focused on numbers to like, what numbers matter, you know, like, and effectively it's the same shit just manifesting completely different and i love that and and so it's cool to see it although your shit is a lot better at like universality and my stuff's probably better if you're trying to be holding (laughs) (laughs) what do you mean if you're trying to be like you be you you no i mean like in the sense of i don't know everyone has like these like the way they put it out like all those things that i'm gonna figure out in the world are the things that i figure out in the world they might make yeah. sense to you, but they're really, if you're trying to be hold and take my advice, otherwise you should probably do your own thing. Fair enough. Anyway. Um, so back to like that. So how do you actually go from a point of you go through this awakening, you get all this knowledge on, how do you get to a point where you're like, I'm going to be a coach that does courses and shit. Like, like that's serious. Yeah, well, again, it's, it comes to you. There was honestly no point at which I said to myself, ooh, I want to be a coach. There were points at which I said, like, I should make some courses or, you know, like, I I got these ideas kind of thing. But I never really chose this. It's just the more that, like I said, I followed the path that was laid out for me. I started firstly rediscovering who I was. And, you know, it's, look, it's going to sound weird to say this, but this is kind of what I was alluding to before, that this was always who I was. There, I even at a conscious level knew my whole life that this is what i was here to do i didn't understand it but i knew it and that is what my whole struggle throughout life really was and like my mom is maybe one of the only people that know that like i was in pain my whole life something didn't feel right i didn't feel right on this like just I, I was in this existential pain my whole life. I, I spent like my, most of my decisions were motivated by, like I, I had this intense fear of death for most of my life. It was one of my first memories of just having this existential fear of the nothingness of eternity kind of thing. And I spent my life in this kind of existential pain, desperately seeking answers. And I like, there was this part of me that knew all of this. They knew who I was and on a kind of tangential note. I read something that I wrote when I was like 15, 16. It had all of these answers. So much of the shit that I awakened to later when I was like 28, I already knew when I was 16, but then I forgot and I got lost in the game again. So 
Yo, that's huge. There was a part. Sorry? That's really big. I think you even mentioned something like that in your book about like you being young and knowing what's up and then getting distracted. I might be wrong. I don't think I mentioned it in the book, but like, but it's, it's beyond, like, it's so true. I knew this. And like I said, not only did I know this, but this is what I struggled with my whole life in the sense that I knew I had this in me, but that didn't make any sense until my spiritual awakening, until I was able to see things from a higher perspective where, oh yes, I like, I am, you know, a multidimensional being that's, that's having a human experience right now. It was nothing but arrogance and ego and, and whatever to think that like, oh, I have something special to share with the world kind of thing. So I was walking around my whole life with this feeling that I was meant to do something or that I had something special or that I, you know, this, this feeling of who I was, but my intellect not only couldn't wrap its head around it, but was trained by the world to think that I'm just being an arrogant asshole by, you know, thinking this way, by having anything. So I spent my life actively trying to push that away in order to fit in with society. And that is then what I'm awakening from and what we all are that like, there was this part of me that just knew who I was, even a part of me that knew how my life was going to go. I actually remember like being 12 years old and thinking out like how I, I even knew that I was going to go to law school, even though I didn't want to go to law school and how I was going to hate it. But like, if you asked me when I was 12, how my life was going to go up until the age of 30, I would have been able to tell you. Then at 30, I'd like, this is awakening. So like everything cracked open. I have no idea. Um, but there were all of these things that were always there. And I just struggled trying to come to terms with my own identity and to terms with the universe and, you know, my, my perception of reality. Like I got my master's in philosophy and world religions. And I got that because I was desperately seeking answers. I desperately needed to try and understand what the hell was going on because I had this deep yearning in me to, to, to figure it out. And I was always going in this direction. I always had this stuff in me. So as my awakening started happening, as I started doing my healing, like I said, I just started stepping into the role that was meant for me. It just kind of happened naturally. I started recognizing more and more <clears throat> how I had something to share, how the way that I expressed myself in these groups, you know, when I was going through my awakening, the way that I shared my story resonated with people and that I, I recognized that I was able to express these spiritual concepts in practical ways that like so many people are getting lost in the overly spiritualized side of things and not learning the real lessons. And I had this ability to bring it back down into the real world to be like, like, yes, the, the spiritual world is real and you're going to get there, but we need to develop these skills and develop these tools and understand it at the practical level before that can make sense. Mm. So the more that I shared, the more that I was just kind of respected and appreciated for it. And the more that I healed the, the higher up I was willing, ready to go. So the way that I look at it is that all of our sort of duties, especially if you're going through this kind of awakening, is just to raise up your hand, raise, like put your hand down to the person who's one or two or three steps below you. There are people who are further along than me in their journey of consciousness or in their journey of business or in their journey of whatever. And whatever sort of world you're involved in, 
you know, you take some guidance from the people who are a little bit above you and you help out the people that are a little bit below you. And I just kept on helping out the people that were a step or two behind me and progressing on my own journey until I got to a point where like, you know, I, I have enough to share with, Yo, with I everyone. I love what time. you just said. There's a person in my life who I'm trying to convey the idea of mentorship to. Just like finding somebody maybe younger than you, somebody who's less less good than you a little bit in your particular skill or craft that you are pursuing passionately. And I'm like, yo, if you take that time to show people that you're willing to put that time into growing and investing in other people, I promise you them OGs is going to come your way a lot faster than if you don't do that. But there's also just the more spiritual side of it. Like, yo, I, I really think, yo, I got recently at work, three people report to me and now it's my job to make them happy. I didn't know that that's what managing is, but you want to make these employees feel so happy that they make your life easy <clears throat> without pissing off your own boss. So like, it's this fine balance, but yo, just having like teaching them shit. Like I get to teach these three people in Ukraine all about like social media and marketing and cultural nuances. And we marvel at things together and they ask me questions and it's like, yo, I have to figure shit out with them and it's just so enlightening like you get to see how other people think and perceive the world and it just makes you broader it's almost like mini traveling it's like the yeah. benefits of traveling without the fun of traveling <laughs> but that's like that's the way that we used to progress like you know someone who is in one stage of their career would teach the people below them and you know we would keep on passing this down and we've sort of lost that a little bit um i'm gonna give a shout out uh, my grandfather just passed a week or 10 days or so ago and i was reading in an interview from him at a certain point he was asked you know what is his advice to younger to younger people these days and his advice was how we all have such huge expectations for ourselves, but not a sense of perspective and patience around it. You know, oh, we all expect to get there, love it. you know, so quickly. And his advice was that like, you know, life is about learning how to become a specialist. Take the time, like, yes, it's fantastic that you have such high expectations for yourself, but don't think that this is meant to happen so quickly and overnight. Like life is this whole long thing and you'll get there. But you gotta you like if, if you're expecting these quick results, you're you're never gonna stick with it for long enough for anything to happen. So we used to have this, you know, very steady process where everyone would teach the people below them and teach the people below the them. And now we're all just journey, like, man, and trying better. to grow so quickly. Yeah. Yo, that's big facts. And that's basically like a phenomenon that I find happens a lot in art, especially content art. Like let's say, um, you drop like like you see people be like, all right, I'm gonna drop five singles in a row. I'm like, you could do that, but you're still going up against people who have catalogs. <laughs> like you're still going up into like, it's like you could drop all the puns and fast lyrical intricate shit in the world, and then all Eminem has to do is put out anything, and your entire fan base is running a cop Eminem's project just because it's the nature of how this game works with perspective. Sure, there's that super niche local following but like yo like as an independent artist you're still competing with the big leagues and i feel like independent people sandbox themselves or so this thing i noticed with comedians um comedians tend to perform to rooms full of comics so they shape their jokes to get laughs out of comics 
and then they go on social media and make jokes that work in that room and then the rest of the world is like i don't know if that's it because and then they get real mad and weird like they're experts on comedy which they really are but the rest of us are not so we don't get it and then they're not necessarily good at like translating it because of the like i don't know and so they go through this process where they don't realize how how much effort it is to take that sharp ass joke and make it funny to like me this guy that doesn't actually get it but like if you when you explain it i'm like oh that's that's kind of fun now nah, but how do you get to that point where you're like nailing it universally that's the difference between being funny and being like getting paid to be funny you know what i mean yeah. like but that's a process of refinement but people are still like like it's it's to the point where it's almost like they're not even willing to pursue the journeys that would lead you to that level of greatness on some sandbox shit. Yeah. Anyway, some extra thoughts that you invoked out of me. <clears throat> no, exactly. Everyone is just like they expect to get there right away. But yeah, comedy is a really interesting craft in that sense. In in the way that it's very easy as an observer to take it for granted, to not recognize like, oh, there's a craft there um and you know that these people have spent years kind of developing it because it is just you know a person with a mic and then talking and yeah it's it's a very interesting craft that is easy to overlook i mean it's also about expectations it's like uh do you want to be great okay if you want to be a great 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 excellent super technical rapper you're probably not going to sell as many records as the man's who is not trying to do that and is just trying to be fun and that's just the facts of the world, right? So I find a lot of people is trying to be mad tricky, but then want to be pop stars with it. So they create this cognitive dissonance of expectations versus reality. Like Kevin Hart's making fat stacks because he makes safe jokes. You think he's not a hoot behind closed doors when the camera's not on? I'm sure he's a hoot in all the technical crafts of excellence. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just that they know how to make good products and some other shit that comes into the game with it. But I just think um, part of it too is, is like what you choose to pursue in it. Like there are routes and paths that exist to success within a craft based on your expectations. So if you want to, let's say, get paid to do your thing, there are certain avenues you might have to take that I find sometimes people put blockers up in their reality. I think you mentioned ego earlier. I would attribute it to ego greatly. Myself, I spent years blocking myself on ego, but like part of it too is the emotions. Well, I loved your book though. I don't know. You ended up getting to your book, but just on this topic is yeah. that like emotions are complicated and we don't know how to process them. So we become kind of adversarial, even like that arrogance thing. Like, yo, I felt like I'm supposed to go do some shit. And then people's like, nah, you're, you're cocky. I'm like that kid rock lyric stuck in my head for life. It ain't cocky motherfucker if you back it up. So I spent the rest of my life trying to back it up. Now back the shit up. I'm proud of myself for that. But then it makes you question kind of like what you were saying. Like that means I was right seven, eight, nine years ago. I was just not manifesting it correctly, but the vision was on point. Um, so I got a little distracted there. Um, <laughs> all good. I have to say, it's like, I just think that when you get to the emotions and you start letting them unclog and you start seeing all these realities, and then you take it to like the art world, right? We have a bunch of people who may just be some of the most emotionally immature folk in the world because it's not it's not like i'm trying to be like a dick about the situation it's just most of us don't pursue art past a certain age without a certain level of dysfunction that maybe is we don't process emotions well so we hyper focus it into art 
you know, there's a correlation in this that I'm well, seeing. I think there's, there's a large discussion to be had that I think it's actually, look, feel free. I think it's because the world is like, especially the modern world that like we're trying to fit into kind of thing is based on emotional suppression. Okay. I think those of us who gear towards the arts are the ones that didn't get completely brainwashed into emotional repression. But the problem is that we're all holding on to a lot of trauma and we're all holding on to pain and we're all wearing these masks and we've all spent our lifetimes putting up these walls against our emotional pain. So the artists, you're right, we're the ones <laughs> who are still connected to our emotions, but who are also in a lot of pain because of it. And that's why we gear towards the art. And mm the regular physical money-making world kind of thing isn't very well geared towards those kind of pursuits, which makes us feel like outcasts even more and, you know, perpetuates that cycle around and around and around. It's, it's our inner selves still trying to connect emotionally and our intellect trying to reach back and grab its hand, but there's that disconnect of the wall that we put up. And that's, that's, I think, kind of what drives that, that artist mentality. Um, yo, we got a big question. I don't know if it's a big question from Enlightener Illuminator. Uh, I don't know if you want to take the question, but it's a, yeah, go for it. Hi, Benji. It's Israel. Israel, um, yesterday I've had a very enlightening and revealing conversation with a longtime friend. In spite of everything that's going on, I remain optimistic. Um, but he isn't, he believes everything is definitely going downhill, a uh, bunch of stuff. And he's planning on retiring to the mountains with his peeps just before that happens. And you see great things for the future of humanity. You yourself question the path things have taken, lots of freedom and liberty, lots of bad stuff that happened recently in, uh, a March, uh, are such a bad politics. Uh, that's the reality that we're in. How can we remain hopeful in spite of all of these negativities? Okay. Um, so firstly, I know the guy who's asking this question. Um, and look, I, I could, to give an answer specifically to him, I would completely lose everyone else because we'd have to get into some really specifics. But like overall, look, I think the, here's how I can try and answer him directly while giving an answer that is, on topic with what we've been talking about and you know helpful to everyone the overarching truth of spiritual awakening is that you have nothing to worry about ever again for the rest of your life because you remember like oh right i'm a multi-dimensional being having a, a human experience right now you start seeing things from this other perspective and you know jim carrey who also went through his awakening very much said the same thing that once you go through your awakening you don't really care mm. about things and in the same way anymore so but it, it's not just that it's you know when i was saying before <clears throat> I, I keep on sort of coming back to this and not really finishing the point but like you know when i was talking That's about great. the ark and you know we build the ark because when it floods that proves certain things to us that is why i can be unafraid because everything that i've gone through has shown me that this higher perspective of reality oh right it's real energy is real all these things are real like i understand now how this is who i was like the fact that so so here's one thing you if i can say this hopefully without any sense of ego around it you should see the testimonials that i that i have no, like hold every on single hold day. on hold on 
forget your ego. I have seen these testimonials. I thought Benji was 1000% kind of a little bit full of shit a little bit at first. I'm like, what the fuck is he doing over here? And then it was like the seventh or ninth testimonial that was literally like, we're not talking solicited, but we're saying people just showing up being like, Benji's the greatest. He has the right kind of deportment. He's willing to stick it out, work with you, run through it. He helps you. And I'm just like, it was Benji Anto over here, you know, but for real, I'm talking, I personally read more than 10 testimonials that were like straight up to that quality and pedigree. Thank you. Um, so that's just like every day I'm having this impact on people's lives. Every day the words, you know, changed my life or can't thank you enough, whatever it is. Like it's, it's coming out. Now I'm at the point where like, I'm, I'm honored. It's amazing. And it's beautiful. But like when they said it's honored to be of service, that that's my response by now, because it's, it's everyday kind of thing. Um, and the, the fact that what we have to recognize, because this is one of the things that really keeps me hopeful and keeps me optimistic as, as I go through everything. You have to realize it's a spiritual awakening that led me to doing this work, a remembering at that sort of level of like, oh, right, we are multidimensional. Oh, right, there's more to this world. Oh, right, like I actually, whatever, all of these sort of higher dimensional kind of spiritual things. So it's that that led me to this work. And why I keep on bringing up that arc thing is because there is no way that I could be as like, that, that I could truly be having this impact on people's lives if the journey that brought me here isn't true. You know, I keep on saying about how this is stuff that was in me all along or about the spiritual elements of this awakening and what I was remembering and all this stuff. And if all of those things were not true, then it would make absolutely no sense that the things that I have to share with people can actually help them. Mm. So the fact that I am having this impact on people's lives means that the spiritual elements of my awakening are in fact real. And from that perspective to Israel, who asked this question, I very well know and understand that this is, firstly, like you're looking at the negative sides of things. I see a lot of beauty and a lot of change that is happening. Yes, we are in a tumultuous time, but I don't like there, there is so much positive that is happening. Can I just like add a little bit to, to like that perspective thing. So, yo, I'm actually mad optimistic for slightly different reasons. I use data a lot and I look at data curves and shit. So for one thing, there's this, this theory I came up with called the Google divide. So basically Google is invented in 1998 and this impacts how people research, learn and process information in a significant way. Myself, my entire high school education involved the word Google. It just meant I've always been taught to Google shit, Wikipedia's. But you you look at it a lot in corporate land where people above a certain threshold, it's about 40, 41 right now in North America. There's like this almost hard pivot to like, a di- like it's almost like all the young people is using agile and the older cats is into waterfall. These are project management techniques. Um, and you see like these different learning methods and um, the it's like, if you flip that into like the more emotional journeys that you're talking about, the farther younger you go, there's like this weird misconception among millennials and up that young people's is repeating the mistakes of their elders. They're not, they're like emotionally mad woke 
in the ways that we're describing. Like to, to when I talk to like 23, 22 year olds, they're like, honestly, like they take it for granted. Some of the things that we discovered in our thirties to them, it's just facts, right? So you see this youth. Now the thing is I've seen this in like four countries. I get the pleasure of working with young Ukrainians. They are completely the same as young Americans, the same as young Pakistani. I had that pleasure too. The same as young Israelis. I, you see young everywhere and it's the same. And I'm like, bro, that is mad different than old. Old is behaving away. And old is fearing and young is changing the world. So for me, if you ever feel pessimistic, just go talk to the youth and listen to what they have to say. And you will be absolutely shocked and you'll, you'll be ready to flip up your whole marketing strategy by the end of that chat. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. There's a lot of positive that like, when you and i see that also in a lot of uh you know movies for for younger audiences these days like when i watch teen movies and i see like the the lessons that like you know that 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 they just live with you know these these this sort of i get you know again the kind of quote unquote woke culture kind of thing and to see that like oh right that's just common and popular kind of thing like you said you know the things that are cool at the younger ages are like oh right emotional maturity and kindness and you know being good to each other that's what cool these days you know back in the, in the 60s being cool was you know fucking paddling the freshman with a wooden board now being cool is being emotionally open and being cool to you know to all all people so i mean you see like youthful and you see it in music look at what's popping right now like this weird hybrid of emo r&b rap that's the emo r&b and like rap melded together with some other variants is is like hot because it's emotions it's got melodies and soul and all this shit is lit and it's really just older cats that want that like hard shit to the same degree. Now everyone is going to be like, but hold not nah, data shit. Just go data gang with that big numbers. Most people want that billboard. Most people not like you and your friend. I'm talking most people. So you see that this is what the general trends are emotions. And it's so weird. look at all the everybody's everybody's got feelings. Now everybody learned to sing all of a sudden everybody's getting into that like bag why because we all want to let it out is what i'm feeling like why not we all held i held yo i'm trying to learn how to have fun it's the stupidest shit in the world to have to say but I, how do I, you i completely get you like to have fun just to, to, to i had i interviewed iron solomon this guy it was like one of the biggest moments of my life and i didn't actually smile for two hours it was like and i was trying to find a screenshot where i, I couldn't I just, I don't like, I got to learn how to smile in these interviews <laughs> and I had to actually <laughs> practice this thing as I went through it. Like, yo, have a smile. Oh, okay. That's oh, not yeah. quite what like, there's no, a no, difference no. between practicing no, no. looking it, like you're having no, 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 fun, but, but it's, it's having fun, but they're both real. They're, they're both things. I got twisted a little bit, but no, the actually your know, vacation time comes in, it comes time to like sit there and like, you're supposed to relax. Everyone said psychologically, you need to stop working and not, you need to chill. And then you chill and you're like, nah, I gotta get, I don't know how to, I don't know how, how do I, how do I sit there and chill? How do I watch a movie and just, how do I, how? How do you be in the moment? How do, you know what? I don't even like really laugh at comedies and shit. Like, I don't know, it just doesn't happen. I just like, you know, like that's the best you're getting, a smile. <laughs> Like it's hard. I mean, people tell me jokes, and I'm like, "Oh shit, I didn't laugh or anything." They're mad at me now. Oh, I guess it wasn't funny. I'm like, "Nah, I was laughing in my soul." <laughs> I don't know how to do it all. 
it's it's hard to do the po I got so good at negative emotions and I never learned how to like you know when people touch me dude it's weird I still like I realize it's, it's weird that like when people touch me I cringe and I'm like this is fucking not right they shouldn't be touching me like these are this feels like unnatural like responses to shit you know and you look at other cultures and how like they touch each other like regularly you're like why do other people touch each other why am I conditioned to, you know like that's the kind of shit that like I've been spent the last couple of years trying to figure out in my head um you know shaking hands i don't know why you said that ismail but uh i guess it's touching people shaking hands yo people are gonna not want to ever touch each other for the next like year and a half it's gonna be like a mix of orgies and like well, ostracization <laughs> there, there are some places where <clears throat> where people have different attitudes I, I don't know i just I, I recently found out that there are like some american cities that don't have you know like lockdowns and forced masks going on um, I, I know that in Israel now they've got the vaccines going. People are living life again a little bit more. But yeah, um, this is definitely going to like the fear of touching, the fear of intimacy, the fear of viruses is going to, you know, stick with us for at least a decade. Yeah. You think that long? I, I don't mean that. Oh, yeah. like, I never thought think about that. Think, think about 9-11 and terrorism. How long did our, did we, were we, directly afraid and thinking about terrorism after 9-11 say a good 10 years at least before it started fading do you think though i think that's hmm, i was gonna say news cycles and then i thought social media and i backed out of that one real quick i don't know i, I would hope that like it isn't that i don't know but you might be right that's a scary thought because i was like anyway vr is gonna kick in but then there's also like hedonism because you know what happens after the last few diseases, according to history? Like, the decade after was debauchery after the Black Plague. They were, like, in I mean, it was in, like, studies, you know, like how people write nonfiction. But basically, there was, like, and people started fucking and procreating. So my thoughts are that's going to be a big part of the next decade, too, procreation. Sure. Because population rates just declined in a drastic way. So there's, like, a... Today? I don't know, half a million people died in the States in a disproportionate amount. Like, there's a lot of numbers. And if you look at, like, uh, the the ratio of who got hit, it was a lot of older people. There's going to be a disproportionate, like, it's, like, economically, it's going to solve some problems for us. That's who's going to pay for CERB, by the way. Them run the numbers on tests. For, anyway, if you run the it's, it's so morbid, but, like, we good. Enough people passed in Canada that we good in nursing homes and shit. It's dark, but like, that's how expensive that shit was. So like, yeah, like there's gonna be a lot of weird changes where all of a sudden it's like they probably can't just afford a UBI or something. Like, I'm not yeah. saying a hundred, but like, it's way more on the table now that such an intensive burden has been taken off the medical systems of like, Earth. Look, and, and look, even beyond that, we we have to start recognizing we have more than enough on this planet to go around the problem mm. is all the systems that we've had in place that don't allow this to happen i'll just take a random tiny example of something that, that came up in my my look the, the fact that like pears that are grown in india are shipped to europe to be packed and then sent back to america to to be you know sold 
we have the technology for everyone to be eating, for everyone to be doing, but we have these systems in place where a lot is going to waste and where just not like, look, I don't want to get into to politics and much like that. It's just, that's a, that's a big we topic. have more than enough. This is part of the spiritual awakening. It's like we ourselves have put into place all of the systems that are getting in the way of everyone having the food that they need and everyone having the healthcare that they need. Like in my mind, we're at a place of, of human evolution where the idea that we as a species like could solve problem X, but where is the money going to come from is just a stupid question. Money is not real at the end of the day. If we have enough food on this fucking planet for, for to be going around like, or like, it's it's a silly example i'm not no, actually right. I, I think why i don't talk okay, about so, so here, here's what's up here's what's up so basically like i love what you said about money not being real there's a lot of truth in that and like crypto markets blah 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 whatever whatever end of the day like people get really focused on shit like how are we going to pay for stuff but that's been like the question for history like since time since the beginning how are we going to pay for stuff and yet stuff happened there's just always been debt that's always been imaginary um it's always just been there and then things happen and then the debt pile grows bigger and bigger and bigger that's what happens is more debt appears and then just more debt appears and then this guy now owes that guy and it's like so fucking because i'm talking like i watch macroeconomic videos of world like fiscals and shit because i'm so fascinated by this web of nothing and it's just a bunch of people making shit up at the end of the day and then we all buy into the system because it's convenient and it makes sense because once upon a time, a bunch of people was trying to standardize a way for a fucking guy selling pigs to get some fucking beer. That's the facts of money. Okay. That's where it comes from. Some little standardization and farming. If we're going to revolt everything, do we really need money the way it existed? I don't know. We could reinvent the system a little bit something needs to change like i'm not saying that you know we can have a society without money per se i don't know like it would, that, that would be a whole thing but like we have enough abundance that you know some something about the way that we do this needs to change i think universal basic income is is a fantastic you know fantastic choice that should be implemented Thanks. now because like I said, there is enough and i think that we need to start changing the ways that society uh, is run in general and my girlfriend because she was like getting that you know money for unemployment and shit because unfortunately she lost her job was able to learn how to copyright enough to freelance and start acquiring gigs and gain a practical skill on that time of in between you know like so imagine you didn't have that and you got to go to mcdonald's and fucking clock out on less money on that shit i know a lot of people act like there's a lot of things out there but i feel like inherently we all just want to contribute even the broken people and the worst people still want to contribute maybe we don't philosophically agree on how but we want to because nobody's just going to the percentage of people that are just going to sit there and do nothing are probably people we want to sit there and do nothing i'm just going to throw well, no it's it's look everyone and this is some stuff that i talk about in the book that unconditional self-love eventually leads you to wanting to be of service to others mm -hmm. that is when we feel best when we feel really good about ourselves we want to be of service to the world 
those are the happiest people. So anyone in a world where like we have universal basic income, anyone who doesn't yet want to participate and give back is because they're still in pain. We, we owe it to them. We can help them like this. It's mm, I like how you twist. I like how you flip that. Okay. We, we are um, empathic at our cores. We are, we want to participate. We all want to be part of this game to love and to give back and all that sort of stuff. And we can, we can get there. We just like, this is what I was saying also in terms of, you know, towards Israel that like, this is what change looks like. That is why I'm optimistic about the future. That like, I understand having gone through something like this at the personal level, seeing that like at the personal level, everything needed to fall apart in order for me to build my new perspectives and for me to remember who I was and all that sort of stuff. So that's why I can watch what the world is going through right now through a very optimistic lens that like I understand the same way that at the personal level I needed to experience, you know, a crumbling before I could experience a new life. That's what we're seeing now. Mm. This period is forcing, you know, us to examine a lot of the systems and a lot of the structures. And, you know, even as you pointed out in a morbid sort of sense to acknowledge, you know, some of the older generation passing on, like it's a, you know, there's a, Again, morbidly speaking, a cleansing fire kind of happening. Look, just, I mean, I don't mean it everything. to like be like that, but like just so that people know, the retirement age was like fifty-seven or whatever it used to be, because the average lifespan was fifty-two, and it was intended and retirement and the pensions, all this shit, right? It was intended that you were mostly not ever going to get it. That's why it was so good, and now nobody's lived to like an average age of like 80 or whatever the fuck it is in history this is like unprecedented and there's no way that our system was built for that so it's like these are real things that i don't think a lot of people know about on like population densities and demographics but like when in history did your average death rate hit like fucking 85 for women like think about that that's like 30 years past when people used to die and then you have the retirement 67 or whatever. So that's 20 additional years of economic burden. I know how cold this is. Economics is not a friendly topic, but at a meta level, that's kind of what happened to our system and why things are so kind of fucked up economically at a government level and why they can't afford shit properly. That doesn't explain businesses. That's a whole other thing. But this is how the government's going to pay for shit. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Yeah, I don't know. I choose not to and be like, I don't know. I stick to the things that I know. I'm good at emotions and at this awakening politics. I just, yeah, I, I, I know that. we're heading in the right direction. I agree. It's going to take a while to get there. Like, it doesn't look like it now. I get that. But I, let's just, like, I'm optimistic. I, I believe that, you know, in the end, we figure this out and we, we end up better off than when we started. It's just got to, Yo, it's going to take a while. I also think that even the worst people on earth have no desire to fuck things up to a point of no return because we all want to be here to see tomorrow. So, like, there's going to be, like, this, like, something of equilibrium that keeps things alive is the way I see it. Like, I don't know. I also just see the youth kind of doing everything your book said. So, like, you know, inevitably... The people of our age group who are going through it now actually i i see it a lot i see a lot of people who took this last year to like learn themselves and shit so imagine in 20 years when we're the decision makers of countries 
because that that's what happens to us we become that age and then we're the ones running everything that sounds like a pretty optimistic time if we're putting in that groundwork now you know like that's just yeah. a whole other angle soon you benji could end up being like a fucking political leader in some weird twist well, that, of events. that ain't never gonna happen <laughs> As uh, I think it would play, Plato said, uh, you know, anyone who wants to rule isn't suited to. So, yeah, I might be suited to. But like, I sure as hell don't want that. I, I yeah, have no intentions of ruling anything. That's why in, in Plato's Republic, you know, leading was was it was a responsibility that was thrust on you. It's not something that you asked for. <laughs> Anyways, no, I no, actually that was mad fucking right. interesting what you just said um, about leadership. Uh, a lot of people want to be boss people that lead and yet it's more the people that end up being forced into those positions that do great at it rather than the people who lust for it and that, that's where you get into the machiavellian habits and stuff but like i love that you said that because a lot of people back in that rules and perspectives lens maybe could benefit from hearing that too like leadership isn't you know it's hard it's it's a weird thing to desire it's a weird thing to desire that kind of oh. can, not weird because that's it the only thing that there is to desire about leadership is the power so anyone who desires leadership is really saying they desire power like mm. obviously not anyone i'm not making this giant blanket statement some people do like it, it tends to be something that like we step into that role when we need to and that's kind of what i was saying with me and this coach like it's not something that i chose kind of thing and, and you were asking me how i got here it's like i i stepped into it because it's just you know, it, it was needed and it was there. But like, as leadership is something that you take, you know, if you're like, if, if it's thrust upon you, you sort of go and do it. But those who say like, I want to be president kind of thing, in general, they're really saying I want the power that comes along with that. And then therefore, they, sh they are not suited to rule. I guess when I expressed the idea in my head, it was more in that circumstance where society happens to accidentally elevate you and you're thrust into it rather than you sought it out through any kind of desire. Oh, so you're talking more about like a Kanye kind of thing, <laughs> thrust into. So I don't know. No, that's a great example. People shit on him all the time. I'm like, yo, Kanye has been like one walking accident of finding himself and now he's $3 billion and you can't hate on him for that. He did a lot. And honestly, people think he's kidding. I guarantee you that dude was going to run for president. And I actually don't think it was on some like whatever, whatever. I think he's just like, nah, fucking hate how this shit works. And I want to see it done differently. So he's trying to get in there to fucking do it. Like, that's my honest thoughts on that guy. Do I think he's the right guy for the job? It's not my fucking country. I don't really care that much. I just really believe him when he's sincerely going for it. But I also think he hangs out with billionaires. So clearly yeah. he's talking to people that don't think like you and I. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I like that example. But let's say that does happen. You start elevating. You start meeting more and more influential people. Somebody goes and says your name to it. And the next thing you know, you know, that's how life can work sometimes when you allow the universe to guide you. Mm -hmm. I hear you, though. Cause you never I, know. I really like right. oh, I'm not trying to encourage you to go into politics. I was just... <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah no i just don't anyways like one step at a time like you said i just let the universe guide me anyway so um i found my my life tends to go like there's three years at a time and i'm just reaching the end of a three-year span now so i'm excited for whatever the next stage of, of my life is <laughs> but you still wrote a, two books dropped them I wrote two books. 
We should probably talk Sorry? about how you have two books that just came out a little bit on this interview yeah. thing. It's more right. Um, yeah. so, so tell us about the two titles. What made you go in the duality of two separate companion pieces? Like, like why why that route rather than like one book that encompassed? Well, again, you might be kind of frustrated with the answer. Like that's just like these things come to me. I didn't like I didn't plan to write books at this time. It was like I, I had already started. I, I was already like 30 pages into the book, into the first book before I knew and, and made the decision like, oh, I'm writing a book. And then I started writing the second one at the same time while I happened because they just, you know, anyway. So the first one is Feelings First Shadow Work. And this one was, you know, like it just started running through me. It was all of the things that I've been teaching to people. It was the, oh, it's the overarching wisdom about our subconscious cycles, about our emotional wounds and the way that we have <clears throat> put them aside and been holding on to them our whole lives and the way that they are affecting us. This is, you know, the culmination of everything that I've sort of woken up to and learned and, you know, been able to teach to people over the last few years. It's the emotional level of the awakening that I've been talking about. It's I'm helping people understand what their emotions are all about. And then the second one, 10 mind hacks for quicker emotional healing is the sort of practical wisdom, uh, the practical tools and techniques to go along with that stuff as well as some a bit more of a deeper dive into some of the topics and a bit more of an investigation into some of the you know spiritual uh sort of concepts so they're separate because one is a little more about the wisdom and the understanding of this and it's giving the whole structure and the concepts and the other is more of like okay well here are a bunch of little things that you can do so they had a different tone but you know, these things just kind of fall into place on their own. So I was constantly just following the guidance and following what felt right at the time. And these things just flowed through me. Like I wrote two books in a month and I never really like, it's just hold all on, of a sudden. A month? Started. Yeah. It took me three months total to like get this all done, but like they flowed out of me in a month. Like I didn't, like I said, I didn't plan. I, look, this is all stuff that I've been teaching and that I've been learning. So I've been gathering all this information in my head and putting it all together in a Dude, lot of ways. That's just not encouraging, so, uh, actually. Well, the way that I explain things and the way that I teach to to my client, you know, you should if you read the second book, Ten Mind Hacks for Quicker Emotional Healing, you'll get a lot of this where I talk about the intuition as, look, what we're doing through feelings first shadow work by the way, is learning how to connect to our emotions again and learning how to confront uncomfortable feelings when they come up in a way that allows us to finally release the old pain that we've been holding on to so that we can start living from this more heart-centered way and start living not so much up in our head where we don't need to think about everything. We don't need to figure everything out. We can know that, you know, our heart is guiding us every step of the way. And all you need to do is, is keep on acting in the direction of love and, you know, in self-love towards the direction of, you know, just, just keep moving in a positive direction and your heart will always tell you what is right at the time. And the beauty of this is that as you learn to kind of let your feelings guide you, 
you, you get to let go a little bit more and you start learning how to trust your intuition. And in this second book, in 10 Mind Hacks, I talk a fair bit about, you know, your intuition, it is always talking to you. Your heart is always telling you what you want, what you don't want. It's always leading you in the right direction. But the problem is that, like I said, we, we spend so much time blocking off our hearts and living from up here. It's living from fear and living from logic and living from rationality as opposed to living from, you know, the full core of who we are and, and how we really feel. We put aside the things that we know about ourselves and our real identity and we put on this mask and we, you know, live in society. So we've been putting this stuff away for so long that as we learn to start trusting our intuition again, you're going to start noticing that it's always talking to you. It's always guiding you in the right direction. And you don't need to plan things out. Like it, it was the same. I've noticed this pattern in my life. Like when I dropped out of law school and did flip, it was, you know, I built this place without ever having used a power tool before in my life. And, you know, just everything worked out in exactly the right time, exactly the right place where, you know, there are certain times in my life where I try and force a project or an idea into reality. And like, no matter how hard I try, it just doesn't work. And then there are other times where God himself wouldn't have been able to stop me if he wanted to. And all we need to do is learn how to stop acting from up here, learn how to connect to what our hearts are telling us and learn how to follow what our hearts are telling us without fear when it's telling it to us. So your heart is always guiding you in the right direction. Your feelings are guiding you in the right direction. But we have become scared to follow it. We're so focused on the outside world that we don't. And when we let go and we follow just our feelings at the time, you'll notice that everything happens in waves. You'll get a wave of inspiration now. And that's what happened with these books. It just came up. It happened. And then maybe there will be some periods where like you don't know what to do next. And the beauty is that in those moments where you don't know what to do next, you don't need to do anything. You don't need to force things into reality. You just need to be patient and know that the next wave of intuition is going to hit. Mm. The way that I like to express it is it's like, imagine your heart, your intuition is the GPS on your phone and you're driving on the highway and your heart is going to tell you when it's time to get off. It's going to tell you when you have this next idea. When is that next moment that I was talking about where like God himself wouldn't have been able to stop me kind of thing. You're waiting for those moments in order to take the next step in your life. So you've got your phone there and you know, it's waiting and the radio is your head and your focus on the external world. So when the phone, when the GPS isn't saying anything to you, we have this habit of getting distracted and we turn on the radio and like, we're not, like we're not listening to it. We're not waiting for it. We're so distracted in the outside world that when the GPS speaks, if the radio is on, when the GPS speaks, if the radio is on, you're not going to hear it. And that's how we've all been living our lives. We've been living all up here, very distracted from what's actually been going on inside. Mm -hmm. And when you learn to tap into your feelings, when you learn to actually feel again without fear and to tap into, you know, what your body is actually telling you at any moment, then you get to kind of just start 
following it. That's what playing chicken with the universe was all about. I was having these feelings and they were pushing me in a given direction, but those feelings didn't make sense intellectually. I couldn't wrap my head around them. So I played chicken with the universe by following my heart, even though it seemed completely insane. Mm. And even though I didn't know where it was going to end up and because it led me to where I am, everything made sense, you know? No, so like to that. circle back around of why the two books, because there's a lot to share and they have two different tones. So this is a, a, a common uh, motif in this. You're not going to like my answer. Stellar answer. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, why would I not like it? The question is, why did Benji choose to do this? Not why does Holden choose to do it? I don't, I don't get to <laughs> choose the answers. In a sense, by doing these interviews, at least conversationally, I've learned to just not assume as much because when you ask people what their musical experiences are like at five years old, you will not get the same answer twice. You can't predict it. There's no correlations. It's just wild. So it's like you start going, nah, everyone's different, different. So how you, cause yo, at the end of the day, you're a coach too, right? Like part of that's the energy. People are going to vibe with you and people are not going to vibe with you. So if that's the way you are, that's what's going to attract them to you. So it's just perfect answers every time, you know, I might like not agree with like every opinion, but actually you haven't really said anything I would have to disagree with. You either put out your truth or you said, I'm not an expert on said subject and you just managed it all like a boss. And I was very elegantly handled the entire way through this. We got another question from Enlightener Illuminator. Also, if y'all have other questions, y'all can ask your questions too. Um, are you planning a French translation of your books to reach more peeps in the, the Quebec lands? Which is a good question. Are you going to do translations? Now I'm curious. Okay. Well, two answers. Number one, like I said, I don't necessarily know. I don't plan. Like if, if I get guided to like, I should do French translation, like I'll see what happens. Um, but the, the more practical answer is, look, let's see how the book does in English and with my promotion first, because you don't just, as anyone in music should start being aware of by now, you don't just put out a product and people go buy it. You know, you have to be actively participating in, in promotion, getting it out there. So let me focus on releasing this book in English first. Let's hope that it changes a lot of lives. I know that Bit like basically all of the reviews that I've seen so far about the book have been so overwhelmingly positive that it, it's been mind blowing. I've been so overwhelmed, but like what's the of the time? So let's put it out there. Let's, let's spread this around in English. And if, and when the time comes, I would love for this to be one of those books I, that has sold in 60 countries and in 20 languages kind of thing. But so if I look, understand correctly is if you want to see that bad boy flipped up into French, Hustle his book, yo. Go up to all your homeboys and be like, cop that, cop that, cop that, cop that. Which means buy that, just in case you didn't know that. Because I don't actually know you in particular, so let me not just rely on slang. But, like, effectively, what he's saying is show how cool it is. Yo, put up them yeah. dollars. Get others to put up them dollars. You, you're, you're not saying this. You came on my show. Allow me to do my end. <laughs> You give us all your time. And yo, buy that fucking book and t the two books. You could buy one, of whichever one you feel is more inclined by the title. 
I could tell by your description of the other book that like I read the one that was more the one I wanted to read because the other one, I'm still like well, yeah. no, I but mean, like for any, like trying to like read the, first, we'll say like yeah. Well, no, the feelings first book is actually meant to be read first. Oh, I actually, fresh. you know, like um, you can read the mind hacks book for like you you will get a lot out of it absolutely, but the mind hacks book will be more effective. Okay. If you read it after feelings first and vice versa, you know, so, so they were meant to be read in, in a particular order. Yeah. I'm glad we clarified that, but like, yeah. just in case you I mean, you can buy them in whatever order you want. Cause yes, absolutely. And like I said, if you do the mind hacks book first, you will absolutely get a ton out of it. And there yeah. are some like in some elements, I definitely think there are some people who would prefer to read that one first. I think that, I think that maybe people who are looking for emotional healing, but are, I don't know if this is true, but are a little more resistant to, to spiritual concepts might prefer the mind hacks book first only because of its slightly different tone. Mm. But I, you know, I think as you've noticed in, in this interview also, like I don't over spiritualize things anyway. So I tend to try and explain things in a way that, you know, anyone can, can cling on to it, can, can make sense of it because I myself, you know, like I said, it took me a long time to accept and understand this stuff, that the reason why so many of us, you know, have a lot of emotional issues as we go through a spiritual awakening is because the whole thing is insane. It really is some of the stuff that we start accepting, like energy, like higher self, like conscious, like these things. I get it. It's insane. But one of the things that I learned over the course of my journey is just because it's insane doesn't mean it's not true. I don't know if it's we had, but like I get what you're trying to say. The more I think about it, though, it's like, honestly, here's what happened to me just on that front. It's like the term common sense started bothering me because people started saying it around stuff that was a not very common if you leave your local community, as in sometimes real local. And then be like often it's shit that you're supposed to know, but is not inherent. Like it's actually the opposite of common like not putting elbows on a table. Like, why is that common sense? It's actually the opposite of common sense. Common sense would be put elbows on your table and get some rest up. Like, you know, like just, just enjoy yourself. But no, the lack of common, and I'm sure there's some fucking reason, but nobody ever told it to me. I was just told not to put my elbows on tables. Well, but that's not common sense at all. That's etiquette. There's a big difference between However, etiquette and common sense. It becomes normalized as common sense in the way that it gets perceived in the world, in the way that language I find it gets used, right? I, I mean, that's, that's never what I thought people mean when they say common sense. I just tried um, to find an example. It may not have been the best yeah. example. I'm not, I'm not like, sometimes I'm pulling metaphors out and then no, I- No, but that's it. There's social, th those are social norms versus like common sense or something like, you know, don't put down a paper napkin on a hot stove. That's that's common oh, sense. Okay, no. I absolutely encountered the term common sense for social norms so much that I went to this particular example. Like this is a regular in my world. But I also go to work and a day job land in a different yeah. environment than you. So trust, there's like a large percentage of people that I encounter that when they say common sense, they often refer to social norms. So just yeah, okay. to make sure that we're on the same page, that is what I meant. Gotcha. So uh you're right though. That's what common sense is supposed to mean.
But that means that somewhere along the way, shit's just not common. There's like a lack of communication. Shit got kind of weird along the way. I don't know. So like, again, I kind of forgot where I was going with it. But like, this is what happens in the second half of the interview. My brain gets like a little tireder and shit. But I just feel like, I don't know. There's a lot of value in what you bring to the table. I'm going to just point it back there, back on Benji being dope. That's a safe landing point here. Thanks, man. No, but like there's this lack of communication in the world. And one of the things I felt reading your book was the communication elements, which you didn't highlight a whole lot, which I thought was was strange because it was really profound for me, was um, the way that you would address things. Like if somebody, and you touched on it a little bit, but like somebody insults you, like you have to look at that moment on the whole communication element, what's actually being said. Why is this person saying this thing? The empathy plays and all this stuff. Like, there's just a lot that I think would help with common sense situations, especially when there's like 17,000 cultural norms in Montreal alone. It just Well, I mean, I do explain that. If, I mean, depending on how you look at it, like I talk very much about how Anyone who's being unkind or cruel or angry or vicious or whatever to someone else is doing it because they themselves are in pain. Because as we were talking about earlier, we are naturally empathic at our cores. It causes us pain to cause pain to others at the emotional level, at the sort of spiritual level, if you want to look at it like that. It literally like, you know, imagine taking any happy and healthy kind of six year old out into the woods who has never been exposed to this kind of thing and telling him to shoot a deer. He's not going to want to. Like, it's traumatic for us to kill things, to cause things pain. It is not natural for us to harm others. Even animals don't, like, hunt for sport. You know, like, even though, like, the animals that eat other animals, they don't hunt for sport. They don't kill for this, uh, I guess, actually, cats kind of kill mice. But anyways, in general. Cats cats really do. Yeah. In general, like, you know. Overall, we are empathic at our cores. It causes us pain to cause pain to others. So when someone is being rude or being angry or being aggressive to you, that, that's all that you really need to recognize. Any more intellectuality of it just becomes irrelevant. You don't need to know exactly why, but like once you start recognizing these cycles of like, oh, right, that person is in pain. And the only reason that I used to react in this aggressive way is because I'm in pain. Because I am not strong enough in myself. And so the reason why I don't necessarily talk about communication as much in the book is because what I'm really trying to express is that your relationship with yourself is the only thing that needs to change for all of this to to really come into into play. And then like like, as you straight up read that and interpreted it as a communication patch. I swear, like I, I was more commenting. If that makes sense. Then you didn't comment it on your interview because you didn't see it like that. But I swear, I read the same thing, and I'm like, bro, he's describing how to better communicate. Like we go to like lunch and learns where they teach us that shit with worse language and shittier techniques. And I'm like, I swear, yo, bro, there's a play for you to go to companies. Actually, the more I think about it, oh my god, conflict resolution at work. <sighs> Big need for it on an ethical front to trust. Uh but like, yeah, so it's like, to me, it's like, yo, with everything you just said, when you run into situations at work where you want your objectives to be met and man's wants his objectives to be met and both use this thinking bonus at the same time, everything you just said is really important to remember in that moment when you have to compromise. So honestly, I swear I've been better negotiating at work after reading your shits because it really awesome. helps yeah. with communication. 
But that's really cool that yeah. like, we can both I take actually, such different things out of exactly the same thing you just said. I actually had uh, had one client who he does sales for a living. He uh, he's on the phone all day selling like the you know the sort of online gym training whatever I don't know. He sells some shit on the phone, and he told me um, that after going through my course, he went from twenty or so percent enrollment rate to seventy percent enrollment immediately after going through my course and he was selling high ticket shit also so it meant like a huge uh, a huge improvement in his life that's yeah. like it's just that there's a heavy focus on empathy and every time you start the empathy journey your egocentrism kind of by accident changes a little bit in a lot of us because you just start caring you know like how do you not the more that you care about yourself, the more that you will care for others. And the more that you act in a way that is in alignment with that, the the more successful that you'll be in anything that you do. Like even as, as you're mentioning, like, okay, well, two people that are, you know, maybe fighting for a bonus sort of thing. Well, the mentality that we would be going for here is that the person who puts the bonus out of their head and does the best job they can simply for doing the best job they can is the one that will be most deserving of the bonus in the end. But the one that, you know, chases the bonus is the one that at least in, in some sense is, is less deserving of it. Like they are not, anyways, we won't get into that. I don't want to no, get into but that. I don't want to go into deserving or not. But like I said, like. Exactly. That's why I stopped. It. I, was, I didn't like that language. <laughs> but like in general, the other half of what you said, though, is really huge. Like oftentimes my boss at work would be like, hold on, focus on your job. Stop thinking about that shit. And it's like it's true like sometimes we get so caught up into thinking and thinking when our heart should be just yo you got your mission let your heart guide yeah. you on your mission and everybody has a mandate you know like and basically know. what i'm saying is the more that you focus on being of service to others as opposed to to mm. yourself you will okay. instantly start performing better and helping more and being more you know like you will be that person but the more that we're doing it out of this sense of ego and that for ourselves okay the less saying. genuine our efforts will be and it won't be as good but when we can put aside all of that and just like i'm going to be of service so and do that's you, a, a, do you know what the current trend in ceos is right now like the 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 the, the, the popping in tech world it's called servant leaders yeah. Servant leaders okay. is the current trend for the corporate execs. They're all learning how to become more empathetic and be more in touch with their employees and not like in a fake way. It's it's like that's it's really what it is. It's how can the leader of the company best serve the employees to achieve and I'm like, yo, Benji's preaching that that's what it is. That's what the big peoples are being taught. The youth is on point. That's how you see optimism person watching if you're still watching. You just look for the right yeah. variables. So yeah, that's sure. it's real dope, man. Your book is lit. Um, I think it's really practical. I think uh, the other one's probably really practical too. I didn't read it yet, but yeah. I mean, I'm gonna assume that make you you dropped like all your fucking knowledge here. You just just kept it flowing. Yeah, that's exactly sure. what the fuck we want of on this show. I'm not even gonna lie. I don't even know where to take it next. Do you have last cool. thoughts for people? uh no it's been uh it's been great here sharing this stuff with you what i would say is you know look the, the stuff in in this book grab the feelings first book it applies like the stuff that you're learning in there applies to every single person on this planet we've all been carrying this stuff around and 
you know, I genuinely believe that this this has something to offer for absolutely everyone. Like, and that's me being humble. Like, I, <laughs> the the reviews have been amazing. It applies to everyone. We've all been holding these emotional wounds within ourselves, and it can really help you wrap your mind around a new perspective of really how you've been living your life so far, and it it can really open a lot open up a lot for you and. It's just my pleasure and honor to be able to share this with all of you, really. Like I said, there's this part of me that always knew that this is what I was here to do. And now that I get to be doing it, I get to see like, oh, right, that's real. Like that version of that part of me that like knew I'm here to share something, I'm finally doing it and living out my life's purpose in that sense. It's beautiful and amazing. So I thank all of the people that, you know, resonate with what I have to share with what I have to say and, uh, who I get to uh, have an impact on through this. So thanks a lot. You can find me, you know, find the book, find me on Facebook. I've got uh, my group. It's called Self-Love and Shadow Work, Modern Awakenings. You can search me up there. You can find that. And uh, I don't know. Thanks for watching. Yes. Thank you all for being here for real. It's always a pleasure for, for those of you that stuck through it. Definitely a few of y'all that stuck through it. And we basically just shot three hours. So I told you two to four hours. That's my general range. Just because it plays out like that. Um, but it's also because you're super interesting. I, I definitely can't force a conversation for three hours. It really does take somebody able to really just run with these ideas and, and keep it alive. And man, you're just able to like take anything i said and make it like work into the realm of what you're going like you proved a little bit your game for the people that may want to invest in the the premium benji services is all i'm trying to say thank you that's um, that's how i tend to work i don't like i don't promote myself in that way i i come i share wisdom and those who resonate with it they find me mm. that's, that's how i like to and operate. in case you i don't even believe that shit, go google him and you'll find all these long ass webinars throughout his whole journey i you know like you can actually see like the progress over the internet if you really dig for it if you want even more proof to the pudding but thank y'all for watching because like for me it's like a show right and the more people at a show it's a better show so without the peeps it's not even as fun and so y'all made it a better experience for for us or for me at least I'm Benji because a couple of questions came. Anyway, uh, for the people watching in the future, appreciate y'all as well because that's always fun. Make sure to subscribe, like, comment, all that boring crap. Special thanks to the patrons. This is Good Amps, Chris Pat, Jonathan Barnes, DJ Black, Hurricane, Linda Williams, and Scribble. They're dope. They support what we do. Um, if you want to support what we do, patreon.com slash behind that suit. On that note, we're going to start the raid right now to go over and see DJ Overflow. Uh, you can live long and prosper, everyone. Thank you.